Blog Talk Radio. Use the 
to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of the meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are!
It was peace. It was peace. Um, actually had the uh, the opportunity to spend it in, in a different kind of venue. You know what I mean? Hello? Indeed. Talk about it. Yeah. I'm in the back. I'm in the back office. Do you have the uh, chat room open yet? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, because I'm looking for the options in, in, in the studio setting that I have pulled up, and for some reason it's not giving me the option to go into the chat room. Okay. No doubt. Shout out to the chat room. Shout out to the brothers and sisters in the chat room. Uh, yeah, we'll I, let it fill so, up a little bit more. Then we're going to ask the family to share the links for tonight's show on their uh, Facebook pages or their social network, their social media outlets and whatnot. We did create the link kind of late tonight, but um, none, none, you know, nonetheless, and we know today is a busy day. Like I said, the family is traveling. Uh, a lot of the family is in different states visiting extended family. So love and light to everyone, you know what I'm saying, peace and love to all of the family that's out there. Um, you know, we are not judgmental over here. I spent a lot of time yesterday doing my best to enlighten the family on the social media networks, Facebook, Instagram, and things of that nature by putting up information about the history of Thanksgiving. Um, I may I may even get into um, something that uh, Drew Ali wrote about Thanksgiving that I feel was one of the most uh, solid or, you know, all around. Because, you know, you always have, I, I've heard so many breakdowns of the myth uh, or, you know, the history and the real story behind Thanksgiving. But this one resonated. It did it for me. It made a lot of sense. Um, just be, you know, especially since I've been studying a lot of the Moorish history, but it, it traces all the way back to the falling of the Moors in Granada, Spain, which occurred on November 25th, 1991. And then the keys to the, the, the castle got handed over January 1st, 1492, which is their jubilee year. And that's the, that's the, uh, the year that their new world started. So it was an interesting article, but um, we're not here to judge. I don't, this is a judgment-free zone. You know, this is a sucker-free zone as well, you know. So, you know, we're not here to bash anybody if they were celebrating with the family, you know what I mean, partaking in cranberry sauce and, you know, potato salad, whatever it is that you do, kale, you know what I'm saying, you could have had that kale salad. You know, whatever it is that you decided to do, uh, in your, you know what I'm saying, demonstration with the family, you know, Ashe, you know what I'm saying, and love and light to that. Whatever it is, it is all good, you know what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, I can only speak for myself. I did my fair share of teaching and enlightening and sharing information and just letting the family know, even if you're at the dinner table, you know, approach it with a with a with a different uh, from a different angle, you know, with a different purpose, and that means a lot. You know what I'm saying? When they say that prayer and they ask you, "What are you thankful for?" You know, you could put the ancestors in there. You could put you're thankful for, you know, the knowledge that you've received to break you out of the no, spell yeah. you've been under. That that's you know, when I woke up in the morning and and the gravity of what was taking place, you know what I'm saying, everything hit me, 
I was like, okay, I, I understand the conversation, you know, that people are engaging about this particular this particular day and all of the varied history that goes with it. Because like you, I've, I've heard 100-plus explanations about what it actually means, what this particular day means and everything. But I like to not necessarily divorce myself from history, but, you know, I, I, I also... I also feel that, um, well, my personal experiences are are the, are the things that I'm going to take to the grave with me. Well, my personal experiences are are the things that are going to become part of my particular Kashyyyk records. And I don't live in a world where I feel if you don't agree with my personal experiences, there's something wrong with you or, or you know, you're a coward if you don't see the world the way that I see it. In my personal experience, my personal opinion, this is the one day out the year that because of what it represents on a on a family side of things, this is the day that we wait for because I get to see all of my family together, the atheists, the Christians, the Muslims, you know, the expatriates, um, <laughs> the Israelites, you feel me? Like everybody... It's under that one roof, and we're, it's like we're at a board meeting where all of these stockholders haven't got together for so long, and the family is the business. You know what I'm saying? The family is the business, and the business of the family is the business that all the family should be involved in. So what you got going? What you doing? What you been up to? Where you been? What you yeah. seen? What you sold? What you bought? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was longing for that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm away from my extended family while I'm here in California, I have friends and I have a wife and I have other people that are around me, you know what I'm saying, that help fill that particular void. But I miss my aunt. I miss my nephew. I miss my father. I miss you. I miss my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, I miss my cousins. I miss the things that go with the ritual that we normally would celebrate from yesterday, you know? And we're in that building and the majority of people that's in that building have indigenous roots to this land. So it ain't like we're not mindful of who our ancestors are all carrying the torch. But like I said, man, like we got to be honest about what this American experience is all about. This shit is the most metamorphosizing experience on the planet. And it wouldn't beg us much to divorce ourselves from certain customs and traditions and holding forth to who we are as a carbonated, melanated people to have uh, illustrious history as well. But like you said, you know, it's like it's like becoming, it's like being not only in a westernized society and using the English language, it's like almost becoming a dichotomy of the English language. You know, so many meanings at once until you almost lose the meaning altogether. Like, well, what does it mean? It means what you make it mean to you. So, on that particular day, which is recognized as Thanksgiving, I asked myself if this is the one day that we stop and ask ourselves, what do we have to be given thanks for? You know what I'm saying? And I'm 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 thankful I'm thankful for what I've been given. I'm thankful that what I've been given has been received with thanks. You know what I'm saying? And these things are real and it shouldn't have to be a day out of the year that's designated for us to feel this way or to have these particular reflections. But it just so happens that that's what it is. 
So, again, like everything else, man, yeah, if we could only change our perception about the way we see things or decide what it is that we want to use our energies to change in the world. You want to educate the people what Thanksgiving means, great. Does that mean that the masses or the majority of people are going to stop celebrating Thanksgiving? And your thing could be no. like, no, you know, but that one person that might need to know this information, it can make a difference. And that's cool if that's what you, you know, are setting out to do, be that one person transformer, you know. But if you want to change the masses and their consciousness about this particular um, this festivity, you got to replace it with something. And what you replace it with has to be tangible to the American experience, the quote-unquote black American experience. These niggas want to be fly, you know what I'm saying? They want to look fly. You know, they want to have sex. They want to um, feel good. So if what you're creating can address those wants and those needs that these children have and these people have on this planet, then you might win with something. But if you're introducing a system that's going to have them looking like Halloween in November, (laughs) I don't really see that going down. You know what I'm saying? I don't see the children gravitating towards that. You know, yeah, no, nah, they're not rocking with that. If, 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 yeah, if, if we were so lame that we let, you know, adversarial forces trump us by realizing that if you set a day aside to give somebody with something, if you let them trump you with that level of positivity and you're supposed to be the righteous, then I don't know what to tell you, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you might need to wait for the solar wheel to spin around 4,500 years from now and see how that shit works for you. Because you know, it's it's, it's it's human. It's a human instinct to be grateful and to have gratitude. So to tie a commercial holiday to that is almost ingenious. So yeah. that would have to be combated by something that that can counter that. And Kwanzaa is not going to do it because it's not encoded in our children with a particular level in the engram where it's it's festive and it's trendy, you know what I'm saying? And it's not something that they're waiting on because, you know, that's just not the way of the Western world as it pertains to our youth. And this is where they're growing up, and this is where they're learning from. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to Kemet. They're bringing Kemet over here. Kemet is being introduced to them through a Western lens, yet and still, they're not sitting at the feet of Imhotep. They're not going, you know, on them trips with Asher Kwesi and staying over there and that being their lives. They're bringing it back to a Westernized context and figuring out how does it work how over to, here. Yeah, how to, and, how to and fit and it in. Is so yeah, the spell is so thick. Yeah, the spell is so thick. All they got to do is see a dollar bill and a video on Illuminati, and they've totally lost their way because now they're thinking, all right, the pyramid is cool. Yeah. You feel me? Yes, indeed. And I, through a, through a, I, through a I, Western context, it's that powerful. It's very powerful. It is extremely powerful. So, you know, I totally, I'm, I'm totally there with you. You know, I, I, I uh, observe a lot. I, I, you know, I'm like an owl. I, I, I look and I watch, and I have the privilege of being in um, one of the 
centers of consciousness, you know what I'm saying, like the matrix, the, the heart of it. I'm in Harlem, you know, and all one has to do is supplant himself or herself on 125th Street and you are on the grid. Voila, you know, and you could stand there and, and observe. You could do it one day or you could do it for weeks or you could even do it for months. And by doing so, you have the ability to take the temperature or the pulse of the culture. And I've watched and I've listened and I've tried to, you know, and, I, and I've observed brothers and sisters who are, you know, endowed with this information of their ancient culture and knowledge and stuff like that. And I try to see, you know, how do they apply it in their everyday lives? How do they, you know what I mean? Like, when you, what did you bring back from Kemet? Or what did you bring back from a video of somebody who went to Kemet? And how did you be, how were you able to incorporate that into your everyday waking life? You know what I mean? How did that improve your situation? How did that improve to, to feel like, you know, you come from a dynasty of pharaohs and, and, and goddesses and stuff like that, you know? And the whole um, pantheon of the gods, you feel like they're somewhere inside of your DNA and things like that. And that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? How are our people utilizing that information to improve their situation first and foremost and those who are around them and their surroundings? Because you, be you could be a pharaoh in your brain. You could be Imhotep in your head, but Imhotep created things. Emotep was known as an inventor. Emotep had products, okay? Emotep created things that were speak, spoken of thousands upon thousands of years later. So if you do identify with Emotep and have tapped into that power, you know, there should be some things that are being created. Um, very interesting. I don't want to jump off a topic. Um, we'll talk about it later on the show, you know what I'm saying? Because it, it, it has to do with the brother uh, that's coming on tonight, our brother Cece, uh, the brother who I have a lot of um, uh, a lot of respect for. This brother has been on his path, you know, ever since I've known him. That's the early uh, 2000s and whatnot. He's always been about business from a very pro-black Standpoint, you know what I mean, a very Pan-African standpoint, and um, I recently was uh, privy to be a student in one of his Solar Energy certification classes, alternate energy, the Solar panel classes that they were throwing in Brooklyn. They were giving these classes in Brooklyn to certify the brothers and sisters, and I was privy to be a student. So he's coming on tonight, family, and the information that this brother is going to bring will add on to the ongoing conversations that we've been having on the show, dealing with economic empowerment of all angles, actualizing, you know, bringing forth that which is uh, a part of um, our great, our great, our great ancestors. You know, you know, bringing just just tapping in, tapping into something that is, in my humble opinion, lying dormant, 
And that's the cohesiveness of us coming together as an economic powerhouse and actualizing our plans, okay? We know that there may be a few people that are doing things out there, and I say Hotep, Ashe, uh, Islam, Shalom, to those brothers and sisters that are out there demonstrating. But as a group, as a consortium, okay, it's non-existent. The youth don't know about you. You can't say, you know, you can't, you can't, you you can't be like, you know, rock with me. You know, I got it because they don't know about that. They, 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 they. There's no movement whatsoever that they can identify with that's dealing with, you know, practical economics. Can you give me a job right now? Yeah, there's some there's things out there where you could get involved and you could make it happen and things like that. But for straight up employment into a job sector that's paying you um, a certain amount of money that will justify taking somebody out of the street life where they may have been making, you know, streets is kind of slow these days, so a hundred dollars an hour as opposed to a thousand dollars an hour, you know what I mean? The kind of money that you get in boom periods. These young dudes is trapping right now. They online scamming. You know what I'm saying? The shorties are dancing. You know, and they selling their bodies in the streets from as young as eleven years old. All over. Everywhere. And it's fashionable to do that now. Fifty dollars. Twenty dollar hits. That's where we have descended and fallen as a race, okay? Women in a first-world country are selling themselves for third-world prices. That's where we're at, you know. So, but at the same time, while all of this is occurring, we are currently living inside of a boom, a boom era, a boom period. There's a technology boom. We spoke about that briefly. On um, We spoke about that in detail on Tuesday's show. We covered that the Tuesday before that, and we will continue to cover that into the future. There is a construction boom in New York. And I'm talking about New York City just for, just, for, just for starters. There's a construction boom. There's a surplus of construction. Uh, there's a building surplus that is taking place in New York City. I went to every single borough when I came back because I wanted to get employed by a construction agency. I wanted to become part of a union. I wanted to get into a coalition that had brothers and sisters that looked like me. I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't make any anything happen. All of the brothers that I know that's wearing tool belts, they had a lot of good advice, but nobody had any pull. Nobody had any pull. Nobody could just say, yo, come in tomorrow, I'm going to tell you know, Castellano or one of these guys, one of these guineas, you're getting all of this information, but you can't apply it to to open up doors to bring your brothers and your sisters into the workforce. So we don't even have any coalitions. And I spoke about this before. When I look at my brothers from the Zulu Nation, when I look at my brothers from the Moorish Nation, when I look at my brothers from the RBG Nation, when I look at my brothers from the Hebrew Israelite Nation, I see unions, coalitions, 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we all deal with information and we study, but that doesn't pay the bills. And that does not, that does not build civilizations. Labor does. That has almost become a curse word or a taboo subject in the conscious community. You are not supposed to do labor with your own people, I guess. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to really wrap my brain around this stuff. You know, when are we conscious? After work? When are we banging on the beast? After work or before work? Let me know. When does this happen? We have to, like, so I I I don't get why don't we have staffing agencies at this point? Why haven't we built a rapport with the politicians and our councilmen and things of that nature. These are these are laws. These are these are these are lessons that were laid out by Noble Drali one hundred years ago. Marcus Garvey over one hundred years ago. Elijah Muhammad over one hundred years ago. They they showed you the path to take to empower oneself, you know, in the field of politics and to get into economics through politics and things of that nature. All of these industries, the construction sector, the technology sector, the fashion sector, the stuff that Kanye West has been ranting about as of recently. I really have enjoyed watching the interviews that the brother has been putting forth. Okay? They speak to me. I don't really care about who he has decided to share his bedroom with, all right? It's not a man at the end of the day, you know? I don't I don't care about the clothing that he decides to wear because at the end of the day, I'm not here to follow him, but the message that he's bringing forth recently about the fact that these he's, he's lifting the veil on the corporations and revealing that all of you Negroes are owned. All of you are owned, Okay? You all are owned. You don't have any power. You act like you have power. They don't got no real power. The corporations are pimping the people that they're endorsing the same way that they are doing it to the everyday consumer. It's even more of a pimp game for these so-called athletes and artists and actresses and actors and sponsors and and, and spokespeople uh, and whatnot, you know, because it, it's still a, it's still a pimp and uh, it's still a pimp and hoe kind of relationship. And he's exposing that, and he's also saying that it's a tragedy that I'm I'm coming into the game and there's nothing that has been prepared. Or left for me. Nobody has left anything of any kind of worthy sort of power to help me become a billionaire so I can actually do something in this market. Because like he said in the interview, if you don't have up to a billion dollars, it's not a lot of stuff that you could do. Although I don't entirely agree with that, but I get where he's trying to say. And, 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 and I understand where he's going with that. Because people will say, well, we have a billion dollars together, but you can't get people to work together in these days and times. So that's still, you, we, we're still almost well-wishing and stuff like that. You can't get five people to come together, you know what I'm saying, 
to 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 agree on minute stuff. Hundred dollar theories, better more than billion dollar ideas. But I I I know who's coming together. I know I I see who's working together. I see who's building the future for their grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. Okay, and it's not just a quote unquote uh, boogeyman, the white man. It's the East Indian. It's the Asian. Okay. It's a lot of other people. It's our Latino brothers. They on top of their, they on they standing on their square when it comes to that. Even the continental African is running laps around us when it comes to cooperative economics. From the standpoint, from my vantage point, from what I see, if there's anybody out there to have more to add on, because I'm not here to challenge anyone or debate. You could add on and, and, and correct me in that stance. But from where I see it, from my standpoint, that's what it's looking like. So I'm not going to go any further because we have reached the 9. We, we went past the 930 mark, and I do think that our guest for tonight is in the building. So do you have anything to add on, Blue, about any um, announcements before we get into the show tonight? Not necessarily if the family out here on the West Coast wants to see um, the collection. I'm bringing the, the Power Peace collection out. I'm going to be on Venice this weekend on the Ballwalk. Ballwalk Empire is returning to Venice. The malls of Venice will be in the building. All right? So they can check me on the Ballwalk. Probably be uh, down the way. Um, you know, they, they they can't miss me if they're out there. So I'll be, I'll be on full display. Uh, we're having a, a, a auction for some pieces on Cyber Monday, so they can go to mypowerpieces.com, and we're going to be having some things up there. All right. Yes, sir. More, you know, indeed, indeed. more. If I got a new Seven Heaven label, we got some discounts coming on the website as well. Ocean14Corp.com, Sogo Biz, you know, with the liquid drops. All right, so we will be responding to the uh, sales and everything inquiries. No doubt. So let me read the description for tonight. Join us tonight on Nota Ledge Radio on this Black Friday as we welcome our brother C.C. Blackman to Nota Ledge Radio to give insight into the economic plans being implemented to uplift, educate, and empower our people. We will discuss the importance of renewable energy, the programs, the certifications, and training available for those willing to participate. These topics and much more will be explored tonight on KTL Radio. Be sure to have pad and pen on deck. Class will definitely be in session. And without any further ado, call it from the 347-240. Peace and welcome to Nola Ledge Radio. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Um, I enjoyed the uh, intro and discussion uh, related to uh, African-centered economics and our confusion in uh, this particular society about how we can gain power. I think it's important to understand that before you can make any real changes, there must be an appetite to change. Uh, You know, we talked earlier today about uh, what the show would be about, and I think we wanted to direct our attention to our people understanding the imperative uh, importance of us really taking back our markets as a people. Now, that sounds like a big task. You know, we always talk about how difficult it is for us to unify. 
But one of the things I always try to remind people of is that before there can be any change, the appetite must exist to change. And the good news is that our plantation existence, you mentioned how the brother said that, uh, you know, we're caught up into, you know, we're owned pretty much. Well, that situation is coming to an end is the way I see it. I think the future is pretty clear. Uh, If you look what's happening to the economy in general, you see what's happening to the black economy, particularly on all, you know, how we deal with money, uh, particularly with a a black elected official, I mean, the president, whatever the case may be. We've lost a lot of ground, and we continue to lose ground. So that says to me that inevitably we're going to have to get out of this plantation mentality where we see our economic existence being, you know, under the control of other people. Uh, that's yeah. good news because hard times will establish the truth. This is something Elijah used to, Elijah Muhammad used to be fond of saying. Hard trials are necessary to establish the truth. And as we lose more and more ground in the economy, even common people are becoming aware of the fact that we own nothing. Our communities are corridors of shame where every foreigner who gets off the boat understands he can come and mine the tremendous wealth of the black community. I mean, if you do a Google search right now, they're talking about 100 they're talking about over a hundred, a $1.3 trillion spending habits of African Americans. That's $1.3 trillion. We're not a poor people by any respects. These people are not in our neighborhood setting up their businesses all the way from construction. It was interesting when you talked about coalitions. I grew up in Harlem fight back, you know, where we used to go out there and demand jobs. Uh, Came in and eventually that was stomped out because he had some brothers involved in what was called coordinatorship, where they would go and tell the contractor, listen, I'll protect your job. You give me three no-show jobs, and that's how our strength in the coalitions ended. So, yes, there's a construction boom going on in the, in, the, in the city of New York, but you don't see us reaping the benefits. And that's almost all across every sector of industry in this society. So what can we do? This is what I like to talk about. I like to talk about solutions because we've overanalyzed the problem and all of the, all of the criticisms and all of the, uh, uh, all the things that we have observed are all correct, more or less. But what we haven't really taken a proper assessment of is what we can actually really do about it, and we can do a lot. But one of the first things we must do to solve the problem is having awareness of the problem. We have to start in terms of take. We have to start in talking in terms of taking back our markets. One of the great things about living in the information age is everything has become extremely simplified in terms of your ability to get information related to how to actually produce something. You know, Booker T. Washington was on to something when he emphasized the ability of African people to know how to do things, to produce things. This is very, very important. If you do any real study of global poverty, it becomes an analysis where you start to realize that those countries that have the ability to manufacture are the ones making all the progress in this society. I mean, the current world today. China's yeah. not on the rise because, by accident, China is a manufacturing uh, power. Now, wow. Africa, one of the you know, richest, if not, you know, Garvey used to be fond of saying the inexhaustible wealth of Africa. Africa, Africa, Africa is the future. It's not, it's, it's not tomorrow, it's right now. It is happening all over the continent. All these people that are crying about the glass ceiling in America and how far you can't make it before white folks, corporations, and other people exert their power to stop you would be great players on the African continent. But just like the black communities and the Harlem's and the bed of the world, 
we refuse to invest in our own communities until we see somebody else do this. It's not that we didn't have the resources to buy up everything in Harlem and control it and own it. We had to let other people come in there and live out their dreams and show us their visions. Now, why is this? Because we've moved off the plantation, but the plantation is still on our, in, in our minds. We still think we are joined at the hip with this Caucasian, and history tells us that we have no reason or justification for this. you got to remember, just because the Civil War was fought and slavery came to an end, 200,000 black men, you know, conscripted in that war to fight for your freedom. They never talk about that part of history, but it's very important to know these things. But that did not mean there was a fundamental change in the power relationship between white folks and us. We are a people who are conquered by the force of arms, and that conquered, that, that conquered status was enforced by a whole psychology and backed up by a whole psychology that they gave us. There's plenty of brothers, plenty of institutions, plenty of poor righteous teachers out there that are pointing the way to mental liberation. But how do you free yourself economically? To free ourselves economically, we're going to have to have not all of us. Believe me, it doesn't take all of us. It takes a segment of us to start to work together, you know, regardless of religious affiliation or ideological differences, we have to have a common-sense approach to unity. We have to say our spirituality, our history demands that there be some level of cooperation aimed at ensuring our survival on this planet. And that yes. cannot happen until we grow up and understand that it's not so much about a religious path. It's not so much about trying to partnership in a country that was never established, you know, for your benefit. I tell people all the time, there's no red, there's no, there's no uh, black in the red, white, and blue. This country was established for a particular purpose, and it serves that purpose. It mostly it serves the interests of European people. And you are crazy to believe that they don't understand that and that they're just going to, for some reason, understand, say to themselves, we're going to change this power relationship because you got a black president or we're going to change this power relationship because racism is outdated. They might say any, all the platitudes. They may say that none of that stuff exists in their minds and their hearts, but when it comes down to the distribution of wealth, and who's going to have money and who's going to be starving and who is going to be feeding the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex, who's going to be disorganized, destabilized, whose families are going to be destroyed. Believe me, that's us. So we have to have enough common sense to get out of showbiz liberation where we're constantly in a never-ending dialogue where the society has told you in more ways than none, than one, that they are not interested in a partnership with you. Now, for African people who have their thinking caps on, that's a good thing because we need to say, okay, listen, we have to work with one another, and we cannot do that until we first create the appetite. We have to become dissatisfied. We have to be dissatisfied with taking crumbs at the white man's table. Malcolm said this years ago, we have to be dissatisfied of being you know, uh, in some nightmare buddy movie with the white man where you always are you know, a joke. You know, so what we have to do is we have to have men who understand and women who understand that for there to be any cultural sustainability, we talk about, you know, Afrocentric schools, we talk about, you know, resurrecting black family life, we talk about being strong. This is all has an economic component to it. There can't be no pyramids in Egypt unless those people had an economic relationship that allowed that to happen. 
And exactly. everybody, you know, as the great Amos Wilson, the great ancestor Amos Wilson pointed out, economics is not about money. Economics is primarily about the relationship people choose to have with one another. And yeah. I always like to point out, I lived in Crown Heights for nearly 10 years, and I observed people who 50 years ago had just come out of a situation where they were being put in oven, okay? Those people understand. I never saw those people shopping where my wife shops because they understand that it is important to harness their resources for the advancement and survival of their people. Where is this consciousness in us? Who has told us that we have achieved some kind of social parity with people that, uh, you know, formerly enslaved us? You can never really have any kind of relationship that's going to be meaningful, sustainable, and long-term unless it's based on mutual respect. They don't deal with Chinese people the way they deal with Chinese people. Europeans don't deal with them uh, the way they deal with them unless they have a reason, unless they are forced to respect them. You have to force people to respect you by respecting yourself. All of our assimilationist brothers, all our people that want to say, hey, listen, you know, I'm part of this country and, you know, I'm supposed to have some kind of social status relating uh, to white people as an equal, all of those people need to remember one thing. We have always traditionally been judged by our least common denominator. So if you really want parity with white people, you have to do what white people do. You have to take care of your communities and your families. When we start talking about this is our part of the city, we're going to run all the shops, not because we hate Koreans or Jews or Italians. You know what I mean? That's beside the point. We have to think about the survival of our children who are running through the streets today playing a knockout game because they feel so hopeless. They're filling up the penitentiaries. They're homosexualizing our children because they've been told that you can make it in this white man's game if you deny your masculinity. Exactly. You, have sisters, you know what I mean? Who who are embracing an uh, alternate lifestyle. And this is not about hating people that's not into uh, a heterosexual lifestyle. These are byproducts of a political and social system and an economic system. What keeps the family together? Organization, spirituality, faith, and an economic foundation. We have to realize that we, human beings, African human beings working with each other are our greatest resource. We are our greatest resource. We are our own secret weapon. But we've got to move beyond the silly divisions, and we have to understand that men are responsible for the survival of their people. So brothers can't come together and commiserate about what white folks do and what white folks won't do, how they won't let you in the game. All you have to do is realize you keep that system going. Who's America's number one trading partner as a, as a race of people in this country but black people? We buy every piece of garbage they produce. A lot of that we could be producing ourselves. And people say, well, there's never going to be this great fantasy of economic unity amongst black people. But that's not true. Revolutions don't start with no mass of people. You know, if you're putting together a human body, the first thing you must put together, or the most important thing to put together, is that brain. The brain directs the rest of the body. So a very small percentage of the human body runs the whole show. If the brain is not there, the feet don't know what to do, the arms don't know what to do, the heart, no, nothing knows how to function without the brain. So you get a, a bunch of black people that have some common sense, that understand they can become absolutely, fabulously wealthy 
if they join in the spreading of the message that we must take care of ourselves by giving ourselves first or most favored nation tra- trading status, as the white folks call it. Black people must say to themselves, I have an obligation, moral and spiritual, to find my brother or sister who is in business and make sure my dollars empower what they are doing. Because and those people in the business sector have to say, I am in business to provide quality goods and services to my people so that we can have strong family life. And when we say we want to do cultural things, we have a base of people by which we can draw this wealth to make these things happen. But it's up to every black person who has a dream of entrepreneurship to really bite the bullet and hit the street and start letting people know that the day is coming when we're going to get off those, we're going to have to get off those plantations. The white men don't want you on this plantation no more. No. You're not the workforce he used to have, a workforce that he had beaten down to the ground. You're a workforce that he can't stand. A lot of us are sick. We got depression. We come from bad families, a lot of AIDS, a lot of drug addiction. We're not the clean workforce that we used to be before we started doing everything crackers taught us to do. So what we have to do is say to ourselves is that those of us who have sense, and there's a lot more people, that's right, there's a lot more people in a position to be functional right now, you know what I mean, in terms of building some kind of synergy in terms of African economic progress. We have the wealthiest continent in the world that needs everything. The brother alluded to what we're talking about in terms of what we're doing in solar. Renewables are the future of the world. White folks know it, but they only get another 30, 40, 50 years out of gasoline. Africa can't do it. Africa does not have that kind of uh, electrical grid. There was a great book about how Europe underdeveloped Africa, and they talk about how this is a deliberate plan. But Africa is is, is on a developmental path where you're going to see the whole world beating the path to Africa. You don't need products and goods. There's no lack of goods and services and products in the Western Hemisphere or where white folks live. Most of the world is fairly developed. In Africa, they need everything. And they have, matter of fact, they recently came out uh, with a report talking about how Forbes and all these big uh, people that uh, tabulate who's got wealth missed yeah. 53 billion, 53 uh, uh, African billionaires, never talked about them who control over $140 billion, and they made that money right on the continent. There's wow. a great story of a brother who went to Ghana, and he was in Accra, he realized many years ago that they didn't have a parking violations bureau. So he said, well, listen, I'll bring in the trucks, and I'll tow the cars, and I'll share the money with the government. The man is wealthy today. There's a great documentary, Blacks Beyond Blacks Without Borders, Chasing the American Dream in South Africa, where they show you brothers and sisters who came right from the same streets we come from and went over to South Africa, got involved in business, did not come over there with this silly mentality of, oh, I'm an African, accept me, I'm back. They said, I'm back, but I'm here to take care of business, and they were loved and embraced. Because anybody who travels through the continent knows those people are looking for people that are about making progress. And I'm telling you, I I had the, the, the good pleasure to, uh, you know, I used to run the Elks Plaza. It was very interesting here in Brooklyn, and it was when I got to the place, it was already a center for African marital ceremonies in Brooklyn. So we practically had a wedding once a week, 
different African uh, countries, people from different African countries. We had Malians, Ghanaians in there. We had people from Ivory Coast. Lots of Malian people got married there. And I look at the, the, the strength of their communities, and I realize 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be just fine. You know, they can get off the plane coming from Africa and know exactly where to buy the food stuff that they eat. They know exactly who their dollars should be empowering. They work together as a network. Sure, they have problems, but they have also the opportunity and the benefit of still having enough cultural cohesion and enough common sense to know that they must work together to protect themselves from the viciousness of Western society. we got to stop thinking. We have to turn our back on this white man and look at each other and face each other and say we have to communicate with respect and love. We have to think, do you know the love that would be created if we traded with each other properly? Every time you hear an analysis, brothers talk about the loss of the culture. We don't know our languages. We don't have the identity. We don't have the cohesion. But they never talk about the most essential thing that was taken from us as African people. And that was when we were kidnapped, they took our ability to trade with each other. Because trade yeah. is what sustains our life. We have to talk about how they robbed us of our ability to trade. And if we traded more with each other, made money with each other, we would find our people wanting more toward African-centered, uh, 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 more African-centered culture. How can a sister, a sister once said to me when I was criticizing the, you know, the weaves and the wigs and all this other stuff, and she said, Brother, I agree with everything you said. But my economic situation demands that I go into that office and work for these white people, and they ain't, they ain't allowing none of that natural look that I'm about. So I had to I had to say, hey, sister, I understand what you're doing. You have to make that sacrifice, you know, because she got to feed her family. People a lot of times talk about, you know, the morality superseding, uh, you know, anything, and that's not the real world. Brothers are not selling dope because they just want to poison the community. People aren't out to committing crimes because they want to just commit these crimes. Economics, to a large degree, determines the kind of moral turpitude that you're going to have. And all yeah. of us know if the, if, the, if the economic situation got bad enough, we might find ourselves doing a whole lot of things that we don't agree with morally. So it's not yes, about indeed. somebody's good and somebody's bad. It's about understanding that we create the harsh conditions that put brothers in the street to sell dope when we don't have brothers coming together talking about how we can control economic zones. See, we, don't have to, we have to have the kind of sensitivity to understand that every black man that's trying to hold down a family, every black man that has to have a, hopes, has future hopes of strong family life, all these brothers complaining about these destroyed sisters and their, their terrible personalities, all that is a reflection of the destruction of the family and the family is supported by a dollar. So I think that the con- conversations that we really need to have on a regular basis across whatever, whatever religious path you're on, whatever social organization you're about, you have to start to emphasize we must take back our markets because in taking back our markets is real power. You're not going to get white people's attention by being in a never-ending critique of what the white man is doing. White people are always going to be white. They're not going to change. That's the same person who, you know, cut the belly of the black woman's uh, belly on the slave ship and meant to let the baby fall out is a form of intimidation. This is the same man who changed you in the bottom of that ship where you learn that we have to be one people. And we're going right back into the stupidity. It's not about challenging each other, and it's not about no ego. It's about the reality that we have to take care of our babies. 
this generation of black people have to be charged as previous generations were charged with the responsibility of taking care of our survival as a people. And we know we're not doing the right thing, but in the, in the ugliness of our lack of cooperation and even the ugliness of the collapse of the black family is the understanding and the realization that we must be unified as a people. Unified first in understanding that our survival has to be in our hands. We can't keep relegating our survival to foreigners. If the Indian don't come to work in a lot of black communities and the Spanish man don't come to work and the Jew don't provide a place for you to stay and all these other things, a lot of us will be in bad shape. You trust too much as a people. And as things get bad, people take care of themselves in a crisis. And, you know, there's all kinds of talk of different impending economic catastrophes facing this country, but the bottom line, you cannot stop a people that work with each other. You've got a whole continent. Pick your country. they got 54 plantations. You don't even have to deal with the politics of the nonsense over there. You can go over there, man. People are selling everything they got and going to places and paying some tribal chiefs for some land to look for gold. That's what they're doing on the, on the land of your ancestors. And all of us who have this silliness about not being African, you ought to remember the betrayal that that represents to your own ancestors. Because your ancestors were stolen out of Africa, and they had land, and they had families, and they owned things. When you start talking about reparations, don't just stop and talking about 40 acres and a mule over here. You want what was stolen from you in Africa. I'm not worried about no continental Africa when I go over there. I know that that belonged to my ancestors before my my ancestors met the unfortunate experience of being captured by this cracker. So we have to go over there with the confidence of knowing that that is our land as much as it is anybody else's land. But I'm not going to, I mean, any other African person. Africa is the birthright of African people. You know, God, he said it best. Africa for Africans at home and abroad. You are trying to be a first-class citizen in another man's house. From the time we've been saying that I am a man and protesting the mistreatment of our people in this country, we should have known that the Chinaman has dignity because China, the country, is on the rise. The East Indian has dignity because they are organizing India. India got a nuclear bomb. You got 54 plantations. We don't have one vote on the UN Security Council. Nobody's going to respect Africans until we first respect each other. Okay? You can intermarry. You can try all of that stuff. But it's going to all end in frustration until we collectively are forced to be reckoned with and collectively are forced to be respected. We're going to experience these kinds of indignities, and we deserve them because we are no different from nobody else. If we are the people, the first people who came from the hand of the Creator, because Africa is the most ethnically diverse place in the world, okay? Don't let the black skin fool you. The Watusi, you have the so-called Twa, the, the Pygmy, which, which was really the Twa people. Yeah, the West African, the South African, these people have differences and similarities, but the only similarity is the black skin and the similarity in culture. But there's tremendous diversity. And they say the human species stayed in Africa for some 250,000 years before it traveled outside of Africa. And every last one of those people that traveled out of Africa, do your research, all intermarried with Neanderthals. The only one that did that that has what they call homo sapien blood that's never been mixed in with Neanderthals is continental African people and they have people of African descent that are not highly miscegenated. I make that point to show you that there's something unique and special about us, and you have to have an appreciation 
of your Africanness. You have to embrace your Africanness, and you have to convince other people to understand. You don't have to get everybody. We just need a handful of us. We got millions right here in the city of New York. If you got 50,000 of us saying, I'm going to set up this area, or we're going to support black business. We're only going to support businesses that are owned and operated by us. But we're not going on TV to tell the white man he's the devil. We're not going on because he knows that. We're not going on TV to tell other people that we hate them. That's not necessary. We just love ourselves. And that's why it's important that in the homes there is the real art that speaks to it. There's culture that speaks to it, a love of who we are. It is insulting to God that you are born in this world as an African and you're going to reject, you know what I mean, what you are and try to be somebody else. It's nothing like being at home with yourself. And when you're at home with yourself, you want yourself to proliferate. You want that self to survive. You want your children to have dignity in the world. I can't put that in the white man's hand. The white man can't give me dignity like that. They can put a puppet in the White House. That's not going to give me dignity. That's still the white man's shit. And he runs it right on cue, right on, right on point with everything the white people have as an agenda. He can't make me a priority. He's still working on the plantation. So what we have to do is quietly say to ourselves that everybody who aspires to economics and progress, we have to spread the gospel of taking back our markets. And that's the reason why I started the First True Church of African Redemption. I call it the First True Church of African Redemption because most of our spiritual organizations are dedicated to some analysis of the divine that is devoid of what we need to do for our survival today. I, in my church, we don't care if you're Muslim, Christian, Jew, you're into the comedic thing, you, 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 we don't care about that. What we care is that you have some morality and some spirituality that means we can work together and have progress. Our thrust is that we have a sacred duty, a moral responsibility to create an economic atmosphere where our people can survive. That's the bottom line. And until we do that, we should charge each and every one of our religious institutions. Because I used to be one of those who say, hey, we've got to stop all this religious confusion. But I don't do that no more because the African people are so centered around spirituality, in which they have been tricked to believe is religion, that they're so engulfed in this nonsense that it's, it's, it, we'd be here another 500 years fighting that. And the crisis is on us. We have to have some kind of functional unity in order to ensure our economic survival. So I'm going to take a little breather and let somebody else say something, but the point is I just want people to understand that before you can establish a new economic climate, we have to spread the word, and we have to spread that amongst ourselves. Garvey used to say the fastest way to get a message out was telephone, telegraph, and telenegro. And we got to start telling each other that, listen, we got to take back these markets. Find yourself a niche in the economy. What do our people need? They need everything everybody else is providing for us. Do you realize we don't buy one car from Africa? The whole continent of Africa does not produce not one car that we can purchase in the United States. And so I'm, I'm a proud owner of, a, of, a, of an African car. You've got several peninsulas. I'm talking about small spots. Japan, Korea. South Korea produces the Hyundai. You know what I mean? So we spend $60,000 to buy these vehicles and 100000 think we have dignity. You will never have dignity till you ride your own thing. You know what I mean? Produced by your own people. Wealth is being created for your people. So these are the kinds of concepts and the kind of ideas that our people have to start to embrace. I don't expect all of us to do it because some of us truly belong to the white man. And that's another thing in the movement we have to start, we have to understand. A lot of us 
Love the plantation. They're never going to change. I'm only looking for people that got some Nat Turner, some Garvey, some Malcolm, you know what I mean, some Sojourner Truth, some some Harriet Tubman, you know what I mean? These kind of, this is the kind of character, because nobody speaks for Africans who really want dignity, who live in the West. Nobody speaks for them. Everybody talks about Negroes who just are caught up on the plantation and wasting their time bumping their head up against a system that does not respect them, like them, love them, or care to sustain them. You know what I mean? I mean, we are in the crosshairs of white society. They want to get rid of us. And it's the good news is that, hey, they're cutting these food stamps. They cut that thing in November. I think it was in November they cut the food stamps. And that was just the first step on the pedal, I mean, on the brake. They eventually going to get you weaned off of these uh, um, get you weaned off of these uh, entitlements, and when that happens, your ass is going to have to do something to sustain your family. And it don't have yeah. to be corruption, not if we all working together, because united we can definitely stand, and we don't need everybody. So the conversation around economics is good, but we got to get to a point where we have the discipline to tell each other, listen, the philosophy is good, the study is good, we're not going to be able to achieve what our parents did in ancient Kemet and different parts of the African world before because we don't have those same circumstances. We can only achieve that by saying, I draw strength from that example, but I got to do it today. We have to challenge ourselves to do that today, and we can do it. We have everything we need to be a very powerful nation in the world. You know, people talk about the tragedy of what they did to Brother Gaddafi, who was also trying to set up an African world bank. But listen... If he's trying to fund the African World Bank with $100 billion, which, by the way, because everybody talks about the land grab in Africa, you've got to do your research. The total investment of all foreign people in the, in the continent of Africa is less than $50 billion. Less than $50 billion. You took the World Bank, the IMF, all the foreign investment in Africa, it doesn't even total $100 billion. So if we have people over here that spend $1.3 trillion in this economy every year, it's clear that we have more than enough money to yeah. be the real policy makers in Africa by virtue of the fact that if we organize the kind of banks, the banking system, where are our, where are our credit unions? Where are our banks? And none of that can happen first you first have the psychology and the mentality to understand that nobody's coming to save the black man. There will be no saviors unless we do it ourselves. I teach in my church, the only Savior you're going to find is in the damn mirror. Inspired by God, yes, but in the mirror, you, that man has got to do the work. It's about doing some works. We're not trained to do anything. And we used to be the original artisans in this country, building everything. Our people built the damn White House, okay? You think they had a bunch of, they tell you all the time that they had a whole dumb, ignorant labor force. That's a lie. Black men introduced rice to this country. The black men introduced African farming techniques and produced tremendous wealth in this country. You have people who were bricklayers and people who were carpenters on a, on a level of excellence that was unbelievable. But they tell you you were just a dumb laborer. And today you're dumber than those people ever was because they didn't train you to do nothing. You go to the construction site today, it's almost a tragedy. All the black men got in his hands a damn flag. Why? Because they don't want you learning how to do anything that could potentially help you build your own nation. So now you're a bunch of people without skills. Your churches are all over the place, but they don't teach nothing about what's going to happen to you when you die. Like your whole purpose in life is to worry about what's going to happen in the sweet by and by while you're living in an actual hell. We have to turn these churches into centers of technology, man. 
where people will come and learn the real practical skills. If the preacher gave a damn about you and about your kids going to jail and what was really happening, he'd be telling you, come in here, let's learn some skills. He'd be telling you from the pulpit, come on, control your community, control your businesses. All they tell you is what polit- what white politician to vote for. Instead of telling you, listen, don't put your money in nobody here unless you're empowering your people. When are we going to become sensitive to our own suffering as a people? How many of us have to die before we wake up and realize that the black man and the black woman must be guardians over their own people? This is, this has to happen. Ain't no white people going to save you. And that's the real danger of this whole Christianity complex. You know, about white saviors and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and all this whole fantasy <laughs> shit. And this idea, these conspiracy theories, it drives me crazy. The conspiracy theory is the problem. You're so concerned about what white folks can do that you feel powerless. Fuck white people. I don't give a damn about their Federal Reserve System because remember, it doesn't matter what they do if we cooperate with each other. Exactly. If we cooperate with each other, they can have a million conspiracies. I mean, there's no question about it. But we spend so much time and got so much paralysis from analysis, we're messed up as a people. We're so caught up into the analysis of what white folks can do. That is worshiping white supremacy. That's all you're doing. They can't do a fucking thing to you if you apply yourself. They can't do a damn thing to us if we stand together. But as long as we got this fantasy, and like I said, forget about the Negroes that don't want to change. If enough of us start to do the right thing, the rest of them will come. We are drumbeat people. If one idiot pulls down his pants and says, I'm going to walk around with my pants hanging on my behind, it's a trend right behind him because we are drumbeat people. So we must change our culture. But when we go to change our culture, we got to stop trying to use the white man's media. Okay, because that's all I only speak with. I only try to speak to black-owned media. I don't even talk to white folks because this is not a conversation that's for everybody. This is a conversation that is for us. We don't need their permission. We don't need their approval. We don't need them to like us. We don't need them to understand why we need to do what we need to do for ourselves. You know, so this is why we have to reach, we change our consciousness, spend less time talking about whitey and produce a product. Make socks. Make soap. Make beverages. Make shoes. Make books. Do whatever you have to do, but find some place in this economy where you have a product to sell. Always keep something to sell. Always own the means of production. Always invite other unemployed brothers and sisters to help push your product. Okay, do your work with excellence. Respect your people. Have good service. Forget the lies that they tell. Oh, black people never support black business. That's a damn lie. But if your business is run like a nigga business, they're not going to support you. But if you run your business with your excellence and you have what they need and your pricing is reasonable, they're proud to support you. Don't believe that lie. Because I hear so many people say this idiocy to get out of the responsibility of playing a role in the establishment of black economic progress. We got to stop that. Bring a person to ca- the, what you would call, you live in the most privatized society in the world. They sell you shit all day. All kinds of foreign people sell us stuff all day. We never even think about it. Okay, we walk into these stores, somebody tries to raise your consciousness. Oh, I don't see race. I don't see race. While these people are educating their children, do you know what one of these bodegas and one of these Arab grocery stores produce economically a year for them and their people? That's not for you. If you get into a tragedy, that's on you. Mm. Everybody in the world is competing, and the black man has to be competitive. 
And it's a shame when you have a, a tremendous, you have a powerhouse, you are an economic powerhouse. You know, it's Black Friday, so-called Black Friday today. They got all these advertisements really aimed at getting senseless Negroes to spend their money on these products. Because that's the only time they respect you when they're taking your money. They don't even respect you. They trick you and give you the illusion of inclusion and the illusion that they respect you while they, while they pick your pockets clean. So you buy all their junk and never think about what ramifications that's going to have for your children. You know, you know what it is when you don't support a black man with a business initiative? You are saying no to that black family. When you see a sister, she got a business initiative and you don't support it, you are helping to destroy her family. That's how we have to look at it. And when you put that money in other people's hands, you're helping them to empower them and take care of Chinese and Indians and Lebanese and Jews and all kinds of strange people at the expense of your own children. I see why the young brothers sell dope sometimes. Because you can walk through the whole black neighborhood and you don't see black people taking no money. You got a little funky fried chicken joint or a little West Indian restaurant or whatnot and the place to do here. But really, that's not real business. We don't control the retail outlets. We don't control, we don't control these things because they have told us you don't have to worry about trade. You're just a labor force. We haven't been a labor force in this country like we're supposed to be, like that, that you would expect us to be following slavery for years. They got a new set of slaves they use, and they use the Mexicans, anybody but us. And so we have to understand that we don't have to work that hard, but we must work smart. And the biggest thing we have to do is not even produce anything. It's about changing the appetite because our appetite is all to support non-black people. When your appetite says, I'm sick, it makes me sick to spend my money with foreign people, then we'll start to change. And we have to spread this message to everybody that we meet. The day is coming. Very soon we're going to have to take back our markets. What product are you going to sell? What do you want to do? All of us should be selling something in our spare time. Even if you're on a plantation with a job, all of us should have some kind of product, okay, something that, we should, that we're producing. Or we should get together and form groups and say, okay, let's start a credit union, okay, or let's start this. But we have to start to provide our people with a place to spend their money because a store is nothing more than a wealth collection point. All of the wealth collection points in the black community, for the gen- generally speaking, is owned by foreigners. So if nobody's collecting the wealth of our race, then we become a worthless people, man. Anybody can do anything they want to because you're mighty in terms of the wealth that you have, but you're scared of your possibilities. Garvey said, look for me in the whirlwind. He brought the message almost 100 years ago, but... The time for that message where it has the greatest relevancy is right now. The dream of going back to Africa, man, and being productive and the continental African hooking up with our folks in the islands and our folks in South America and our folks in North America and Europe, hey, that that day is today. You have no excuse. Indeed. And if people are running in the streets around the world making whole revolutions based on somebody saying something on the Internet, what is wrong with us? Why haven't we gone online? So let's make some real revolution based on us coming together and making progress. There's no military solution against this white man. The white man is the devil for real. And when I say that, I'm not talking about white people personally. That's their political designation. Anytime somebody has done in history what they have done to our people, you have to consider them devils. Now, if you run into one of them, that doesn't mean I walk the street and say, hey, white man, you're a devil. I deal with white people all the time. 
And if they have that devilish mentality, I say to myself, that's the devil. If they try to meet me on a human plane to the extent that they operate in humanity, I deal with them on that level. But I would never tell my children that that white man is their friend. I would never tell my children that the days of racism are over. Because as long as they got you believing that there's no racism in society, they can pick your pocket clean. But when you know that you better be organized to preserve your own interests in the world, then you say, I better take care of my economic business. Because guess what? Nobody, no other group of people makes any excuses about their economics, about them going for economics, but us. You know, and they know we're great suckers. Our people love to see humanity united because we're the parents of all these people. There are evolutions that came from African people, although some of them didn't mix with that Neanderthal, but that's another story. You've got to go do your research. But that's what they're saying, not what I'm saying. They say non-African people have Neanderthal blood. Okay, that might explain why they're so violent sometimes. That might explain why they're so insane about how they set up an economic system. The white man is not smart. He's stupid. He's driving his beautiful planet to destruction. The world is a damn paradise if human beings work together. But what it is is that they're so greedy coming out of them caves, man. They, they, they believe in scarcity. There is no scarcity. There's enough water. There's enough food. There's enough. If Gaddafi could find all of that water under Libya and build a man-made river, don't you know that that is a, a top of, that is a geological factor all over Africa? If you dig wells, there's plenty of water. They got solar panel machines that desalinate water, which means that you can take seawater and turn it into drinkable water. There is no reason for human misery and suffering other than the fact that a certain group of people want to rule over the whole planet in the name of white supremacy, and they're dragging the whole society, the whole planet down. The earth is not in trouble. Human beings are in trouble. And we, as a people, can be a great catalyst towards social justice. We need to be heading in droves, organizing ourselves over there, and then heading back to the continent to help develop the continent. I don't want to see the continent developed by Indians. And Europeans don't believe it's overrun because a lot of people make that silly. Uh, oh, oh, all the foreigners are taking over Africa. That's a goddamn lie. Mm-hmm. You're sitting around not doing shit, and you're. Let me tell you, six of the top performing stock markets in the world are in Africa. Anybody knows anything about where the world is going economically knows that the future is in Africa. It is in Africa where all the mineral resources are. If you study poverty, you understand that poverty is about stealing the natural resources from these so-called poor countries and never letting them get into manufacturing. That's the key. Africans don't need the education from a white perspective. They don't need to know about George Washington and what white people know. You need to go over there and say, this is how we build this. This is how we build that. Okay? They are in a great position and we are in a great position if we go and we play our natural advantage. Our natural advantage is to really be Pan-Africanists. That's when you have an advantage in the world. Being an American Negro, there's no advantage to that no more. And that's why it's good that this Obama thing is getting ready to, to run its course. And if you know, like experienced black people know, just like when you had Deacons, as soon as Deacons left office, you got the racist Giuliani. And when Obama leaves, it's going to be all out war against black people. They're going to say, oh, he did everything for black people. And anybody with common sense knows that that's a goddamn lie. He did it was just the opposite. But that's not how white people, do you know the hatred that they have, that their children even have to see him in that image? 
But those Illuminati people thought that it was a necessary time because they wanted to do certain things in the Middle East that they put this guy there to give cover to the dirty policies that they was going to practice. The world were the protesters, but who's at the helm of all that aggression and all of that uh, destabilization that they're working out in the Middle East? How they raise up a group of people that don't like you and take over a country like Libya and steal the oil. So we got to realize that we have to have concern control to the extent that we understand that we as African people have to be concerned about what's happening with us. That egalitarian mentality about, you know, uh, everybody in the world is on the same place, that's a goddamn lie. These people are competing. They compete right in your face. Have yeah. a problem with the guy who runs a bodega in your neighborhood. And you'll see how they understand what's theirs and what their rights are. They don't regard you in any human in any human way. We have to do that for each other. So if we don't lift what it is to be African in the world, then we deserve the suffering that we get. You know? We deserve that. Any questions? Yes, brother. I want to speak to you briefly about the impl- the implementation of alternate alternate uh energy, solar panel energy on the continent, what is some of the um, benefits of becoming certified? Solar power is really, this is a real, to me, it is an industry that African people must dominate. First of all, Africa gets probably the greatest amount of direct sunlight, which is very relevant when you understand how solar panels work, of any place in the world. The beauty of, uh, of Africa is that the African continent has the least developed energy grid in the world, meaning that you can come pretty much anywhere in this country and stick a, uh, an appliance into the wall and get electricity. There are tremendous outages, you know, that prevent the proper development of cities and different things like that because you've got to remember, we have one megacity on the continent. That's, in, uh, in, that's Lagos. When I say a megacity, you're talking about 15 million, 20 million people. Okay, but generally speaking, Africans are rural people. Most of them, if you go to most African countries, most of our cities in Africa are pretty new. You go places like Abuja, you have a tremendous, uh, you have a lot of development in South Africa, and South Africa is just in the, probably the best country for African people in this country. A lot of us like to run to West Africa, but a lot of West Africans have not experienced what the South African has experienced. The South African experience is so similar to ours that you don't have to tell South African people about the devil. They understand, okay, and they're suffering yeah. tremendously. But the advantage is, is that you can go down there with a business. Those people are used to getting paid 40 U.S. dollars a month. So if you're a person trying to produce anything, you could do tremendous things in Africa. And Africa should be developed greenly because, believe me, the whole world knows that renewables is what's happening. The only reason why you haven't had it happen instantaneously is because the white man has not figured out how to tax the sun. But if you found out a way to tax the sun, and because solar panels are made from silicone, which is sand, it's really hard to stop. Uh, you know, that, that sector, all they want to do is delay it long enough for them to secure all of the economic and um, all of the uh, political power in the world. So it's very important to realize that the upside of being involved in renewables, renewables deal with, you know, solar, wind, rain, you know what I mean, and even the movement of, of currents. Africa is really a gigantic island. There's so many ways, so many ways to generate energy, and energy is what the whole world is about. Okay, all these wars that you see, they're all energy-based. 
Africa has the energy. Africa has what it needs. You know, once you start getting people off the grid and you create systems that allow people to, you know, run their homes and there's no kind of medicine to pay, because Africa is interesting. Most places in Africa, when you buy your house, that's it, you own it. There's no taxes to pay, nothing like that. So if you have, you know, solar panels or wind panels in your house, whatever the case may be, you're in a tremendous, tremendous uh, position. Now, what's great about Africa is currently there are, the, the African middle class constitutes about 313 million people on a continent of about 1 billion people. And if you do your research, you'll be able to bear that out. You can go right now with a solar panel installation country, company to places like uh, the Delta State in Nigeria. You can go to Abuja. You can go anywhere in South Africa. And, brother, you have so much work, it is almost endless. But more wow. importantly, from a commercial standpoint, you can actually take, Africa has the land to actually set up, you know, solar panels for miles to generate um, electric power for cities. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? Africa is uniquely designed for the benefits of solar. It's not as beneficial here because the grid is so extensive here, but gradually this country is eventually, you know, they, they, they plan it for the future, but there's a lot of money designed to try to discourage the rise of solar too quick. Not just solar, because it's just the solar. It's it's it's, it's also um, it's solar. It's wind energy, and it's also uh, geothermal. Geothermal. Stick, geothermal is a big thing too, where you stick you know pipes into the ground and use the earth's natural heat to heat the water to provide yourself with hot water and steam in your house. So you know when you have that kind of technology running around, you can put a lot of people out of business. And they understand yeah. that. So what they try to do is they want solar to come along, but they want it to go along gradually about maybe 20 or 30 years. By then, the white man hopes to solidify his political dominance of the world to such a degree that it really won't make a difference. You know, this is about controlling human beings. But we have to remember something that's very important about African people. We are really custodians of spirituality on this planet. And... You know, this whole planet is doomed if the African is doomed, so don't don't worry about that. But what we have to do is realize that there are so many opportunities. We don't control. For example, if you look at New York City, okay, you have the Italians with the construction. They also control the unions. They also produce the concrete and the asphalt. you got the Greeks. they got a whole, they got the diners. you got Arabs who make sure it's their business to own every corner in the whole town. You know what I mean? Primarily in your community first, though. Um, mm. You also have Hispanics that's involved with that. And Hispanics are trading with South America and, and Hispanic-speaking countries. So all these people are well integrated on how to control something. Our people here in, in New York City have been here for more than 400 years. Okay, you go to the African burial ground and see how they killed the ancestors by... You know, I mean, you can see the injuries that they got. They worked those people to death. But our people have been in this city for 400 years, and I don't even know one industry that we can say that we dominate. We can't even say that we dominate drugs. I know. The people that go to jail. I know the industry. And other places. So what we have to say solar, the future industries, industries like that. We, You know, Dr. Jeffries used to call us to some people. Well, listen, we should control everything that has to do with renewable energy uh, because on a spiritual level, renewable energy is, is freedom. It's freedom because imagine if you start making solar-powered factories and devices that could dig wells in Africa. 
You can turn Africa into the paradise that it could be. And mm. the thing is, is that you have to get out of this European framework in terms of thinking. We cannot be behind white folks. We must be ahead of white folks, okay? We must develop the technologies because, believe me, if you can run a car, all right, you turn on your car and the battery turns on the car and then the alternator feeds the battery. Is that correct? Yes. So that means you can take solar panel energy, create some kind of, because that all energy in the world from a physics standpoint is generally produced, 95% of the energy in the world is produced by turbines. Something in the turbine, okay, even in the cars, same principle. So if you create turbines using solar energy, the world is actually energy, there is no energy shortage. There is no energy shortage. And as long as I can tell people there's not enough energy, there's not enough food, I can say, yeah, you got to keep your family small. I can force you to birth control on you. Because this is what these white folks are doing. Up in the U.N., they, write, they, they put out stuff every day. Uh, we got to try to reduce the size of the African family. It's interesting. You go to Nigeria. Nigeria has the highest um, fertility rate in the world. The typical, the average Nigerian woman has eight children. In about 25 years, one in every four Africans will be in Nigeria. Okay, but wow. the point is, is that you complain over here. You see the when you see a house in Africa, you see the kind of compounds people build. They don't call them a house; they call them a compound. The sucker is so big, you know what I mean? And what it would cost to build that in this country is unbelievable. Africa, from a, a human population standpoint, is said to be underpopulated. Huge continent, huge area of land. You got so many opportunities because you have so many of us have been cut down by war, manipulation by foreign people, and introduced aid to the continent. But like I said, they have there is just so much opportunity. But you have to go, and we need to be going over there as organized groups. One of the things I'm trying to do is get my company, um, uh, Green Planet, uh, uh, in renewable energies. Over to Africa, and what we plan to do right now, I'm teamed up with a brother. We have a contract with the University of uh, Cameroon to come over there and train people in the solar technologies. And one of the things they wanted to do is convert that, uh, the University of the Cameroon, one of them, because it's a university system that's huge, okay? Uh, they have 38 major universities, but they all have energy and grid-related problems. The, 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 the misconception mm. is that the Africans don't have any money. That is a lie. That's just like black people in this country. Collectively, exactly. you're talking about, uh, you know, you know $1.3 trillion. That is yeah. money. Exactly. So it's the same thing on the continent. There's plenty of money, but you have to know how to make the money. And if you sit back and you let white people run your situation, you're going to have these problems. You know, Mary Fuller said it best. He said, one of the, uh, in his book, he was talking about how white people must always be in control. He was talking about, you know, the characteristics of white supremacy. You can have anything going on, somebody white will, will step up and offer their direction, whether they're qualified or not. And a lot of us will listen to what white folks got to say, not because they uh, are really qualified to say. A qualified black man sometimes will stand right there, and we will still go in the direction of white folks because that's what we've been trained to do. But the bottom line is that one thing about this uh, this white man, he will go to India, he will go to Africa, he will go to China, and that man will set up shop. That man has no fear of going anywhere in the world and claiming any part of the earth for himself. He gets on the ship, he comes over here to the Western Hemisphere, 
bunch of people living over here, he discovered it. This is how white people do. Even in South Africa, he runs in there. There's all these Zulu tribes. There's all these coastal tribes living in South Africa. He got down there and said nobody was there. They don't see anybody but themselves. But one thing that you can you can say about them, they go anywhere and take charge. Why are we? Why are some of us who are complaining about the glass ceiling in this country, who are complaining about how they can't, they won't let you in the game? You could take that same those same resources and go over to Africa because they don't care. Africans are like this. If you can make it happen, they with you. You can make the money. There's no question about it. So a lot of us who really have serious entrepreneurial dreams, we should really be thinking about how we can probably engage with the continent. You know what I mean? How you how you can put yourself to, uh, if you have you want to win, if you want to make billions, that's where you go, because you can count the number of black billionaires in, on your hand in this country. Okay, read the book uh, written by um, the brother who had TLC Beatrice, uh, uh, Reginald Lewis. He said, man, when he got to that billion dollar level and bought Tropicana, he said, them white boys got together on him. When people think about billionaires in this country, they start talking about Oprah Winfrey, maybe Bill Cosby, a few other people like that. But really, it's a drop in the bucket. If they got 53, uh, 53 black billionaires in Africa, that should tell you something. We only got one. They got a sister that got way more money than Oprah Winfrey, but you never heard of her. So the bottom line is that go back to where you come from and use your knowledge of privatization that you learned over here and take an industry and get involved over there in Africa. People say go back to Africa like, you know, they, people think in this country that Africa is a big-ass jungle. There are cities everywhere. Do your research. The Internet is here. Go, you can see any African country you want to and find yourself an economic niche. There is really no excuse. But if you want to be a plantation whiner, sitting here worrying about why the white man won't let you in the game and how these people over here are so backwards, you know, because to be honest with you, if we are importing and trading with our brothers and sisters in Africa, you know what I mean, in the Caribbean, because even the Caribbean is a joke. It's the same old thing. You know, every year I watch the West Indian Day Parade. My folks come from the islands. And, it's, it's, you know, nobody's talking about the red, black, and green. It's all this cultural expression of their islands. But it's nothing more than an extension of tribalism. And the white yeah. man loves it. They come together to promote the sale of alcohol. All kinds of stupid shit instead of saying, why don't we get together and put together a plan to save Haiti, okay? You got half a million dollars. Half a billion dollars is the national budget for the whole country of Haiti. That's supposed to take care of 7 million people. Half a billion dollars. Think about that. That's all it takes to run the island of, of Haiti. That's not all it takes, but that's what the current national budget for Haiti is. It's not even, it's not even a, a billion dollars. And we throw away $1.3 trillion a year. And we just harness 10% of that. That's $130 billion. Do you know what you could do with $130 billion? You could transform the whole black nation in this place. If it was organized and directed correctly, if we took our money out of these white people's banks and started organizing our own banks and investing in ourselves, you go to these goddamn banks, you can't even get a loan. You go to Chinatown, they got so many banks, it's not even funny. They got banks all over the place. Yes, because they if they use the American system of banking, that's designed to empower white people and the people that are non-black. But if you have all those same people, we sit around, we talk about the Korean Business Association, we talk about these Arab people, they had crown fried chicken because that was backed by the Saudi Arabians. They can't
in the Saudi Arabia was helping people finance their businesses. So everybody is using their culture and their cultural connection to create economic advantage. But we don't do that. We go and we try to play in somebody else's arena. If we had our own black banks, if our people said, fuck the white man, I'm putting my money in a black bank, because I know when the black bank comes, they'll look at me as a human being, and based on my qualifications and my ability to make a business work, they will run to me, as opposed to filling out a bunch of applications and white people looking across the table and saying, we're not empowering that nigga to do this. Yep. So we have to be smart, and the way we have to be smart is we have to have always an internal dialogue with ourselves. Part of our problem is we keep talking to other people. That's why we start the first true church of African redemption. Because we say Africans must have the dignity of solving their own problems. So Mr. Whitey, Mr. Non-Black Person, you know, we love you, but you're not welcome here. This is about African people. And if your Africanness is not authentic or not recognized, you can't come in here. That's the thing about coming together. We're not looking for no government money. This is black people coming together because we know we need a place where we can say, hey, look, we already know about Because in my church, hey, I don't give a damn if you go to the mosque on Friday, the synagogue on Saturday, the church on Sunday. When you come there, we know that we all praise God. Now that we got out the way, what can we do on this earth to transform it so it's a, pl- a place where our people can have dignity? And I don't sit around arguing with economic systems or whatever the case may be. Those who don't want to make no money, God bless them. They're not living in the real world. You've got to have money. Because if not, they talk about the loving all money is the real world. These are the kind of lies that they tell you in the, in, the, in the books that they give you that they never believe. They don't believe in turning the other cheek. This is the most warlike country in the history of the world. The white man says, oh, and, and that, 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 that Bible that they gave you, I mean, the Bible that they gave you, uh, money, the love of money, money is the root of all evil. That's a goddamn lie. The lack of money is the root of all evil. Show me somebody that's broke, and I'll show you somebody that's got some evil choices to make. Is that right? Yes, indeed. You broke enough, you're going to make some real evil choices, and that's why you see the character of our people slipping. We're not into no homosexuality. That's a byproduct of a collapsing black family. And the economic necessity to deny your manhood. You think you're going to come out of there and be some strong black man and you're on Wall Street? Because he really believes you're going after Miss Ann. So why would I empower a black man economically when half of them, as soon as they think they integrated into the American system, want to get, with them, uh, get them a white woman? Is that right? Indeed. You're going to empower your historical enemy to go get your, to go get your daughter? And you know, genetic, yeah. And at the end, of, at the end of that rainbow, there's genetic annihilation. At the of end course, of that rainbow, she's coming so. to take all that money. You know, if you broke and catching hell and you just came out of jail, you can't make it. You probably got a system. As soon as you get some Tiger Woods type money, or you you get a little basketball contract or football contract, you know what I mean? You go get with them with them people. You know what I mean? And then years down the line, they divorce you or whatever. But that wealth is preserved for their people. All of a sudden, you don't see race. You think these white people are giving you something. By the time they sign a, a LeBron's contract or a Shaq's contract, they'd have made that money. You know, they put LeBron, when you first signed his big $90 million contract, his jersey, his jersey was selling at $140. Do you know they made, they sold 2 million jerseys right after they signed him? That means they generated $280 million. See, that little $90 million contract over so many years didn't mean nothing to them. They're not giving you nothing. 
They're not giving you nothing. You're earning that money because the attracting power that's filling arenas and filling restaurants and all that other stuff. Man, you the commercials that's been, man, you're making money for a whole system of white folks. We never think about the people that's behind the scenes. The star makers in this country make way more money than the stars. Okay? And they preserve those people because those people represent big money for them. And we have to understand that. We don't organize ourselves economically because that's the only kind of organization I'm really interested in. Why? Because if we do that, or if we organize ourselves economically, that will lead to cultural unity. You and me spending money with each other and everybody spending money in the black community with each other, watch the love grow. Watch the sense uh-huh. of self-respect grow. Now I want to be black because being black is an advantage. So I don't have to be the person in their head to try to sell them culture. I don't have to tell them because, you, you know, you want to see, a lot of us want to see the cultural change take place before the economic change. That's not realistic. You know what I mean? Now, the intellectual change must take place before anything, and that's why I said we have to change our fundamental appetites. We must have an appetite for making sure that our people is going to be all right before we have an appetite for spending money with anybody. And if you have to spend it with foreigners because we're not providing, you should hate it. And you should say, man, somebody got to go into the producing of that. Because I'm tired of buying this from those people. Not because I hate right. those people, but I know that it dooms my children. It dooms my family. You know what I mean? You want your children to grow up in the dignity? Most of us is raising people for the prison system. You know what I mean? They didn't destroy the family uh, on, on many levels. But when, even with all that they have done to us, we're still in a position to do big things. If we would just turn around and understand that it's, it's deeper than just a cultural change. We got we to gotta watch the money. Remember, the whole system of slavery was based on what? Them trying to make some money. So when you give them your money, you're preserving, you're preserving exactly what killed you in the past. We shouldn't give them shit. We should be depriving them of what they love the most. You come in our neighborhoods, we are spiritual people. We argue about religion. We discuss religion. We build churches, mosques, synagogues. Any newfangled religion, our people out there, Buddhists, Harry Krishnas, our people is up in everything looking for spirituality because that's who we are. That's central to who we are. The white man got banks everywhere. Every fucking way. He's building in financial institutions because they understand that none of that is protected. Them armies, they all run off of money. It's all about money. And God has not, God has favored the African economically if he would just work together. But remember, economics is not about them dollars. It's about the relationship we choose to have with each other. If we give ourselves preferential treatment and consider our own suffering, our own pain, and say that we need our dollars to protect our family life and to preserve the life of our damn children and to protect the men and the women, because I teach, I used to teach a manhood training initiative, and I used to tell the young brothers, we have to be protectors of black women and children, African civilization, and our fellow black men. And our fellow black men. Black men have to understand that when a Chinaman sees another Chinaman, that's his brother. And he has to protect his interests. The Jew says the same thing. The cracker says the same thing. The only one that don't see it that way is the black man. Because he was trained not to see it that way. So we have to have the understanding that my brother is not my enemy. He's a resource to me. But I have to come to him with some common sense and say, brother, let's not get together to sell dope because at the end of that rainbow, the white man is waiting to put us in the prison and, 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 and deprive us of our family life and take the money that he, that he was in partnership with us making. But if we get out here and legitimately provide goods and services 
for our people and provide employment for our people. We don't need that, just like the music industry. We don't need those people, man. Everybody in, this, in the world got a CD burner in this house. Um, uh, you know, got CD burners and all kinds of stuff. You feel me? We should have our own stuff in movie industry, our own music industry. But we should exactly. be pulling up to the project, selling water, whatever the case may be. We got to distribute our. We have to distribute goods and services if we got to do hand to hand combat. You understand what I'm saying? Dude. You don't need no permission from no white people to do that. Yeah, you know, this brother over here, he got, he got, he got a whole warehouse full of water. Or this brother's doing this, this brother's doing that. That's how we got to keep the money. They ain't hiring us, man. You got people coming over the border. That's their newsmate. That's what they want. And let some people do that for the white man, because this thing is a limited situation over here. We need to be going reclaiming Africa and reclaiming this over here. I'm not saying everybody got to go back physically, but we got to go back mentally and psychologically and embrace your inner African and fall back in love with what God created as a prototypical human being on this planet. And when you understand who you are, you will love everything about being African. When you look into the soul, Dr. Du Bois had an awakening. He used to call Garvey a baboon. By the time he was moving on in his consciousness, he wrote the souls of black folks. Beautiful are the souls of my people. Once you understand spiritually how to see African people and get away from the propaganda, you see the beauty of us on all levels. I love being an African person. I love fighting for African people. I wouldn't want to be anything other than a black man. I love it. My people have been in continuous struggle for years, and I know that we will ultimately be successful. But we got to be ourselves. We cannot be successful trying to be them. We don't have to market like they market. Our most important imperative for every black entrepreneur out there is to educate our people about the importance of taking about, about our markets. You don't have to be jealous because this brother is selling a product. That brother is doing the right thing. In fact, we should support him. If we create enough of a cultural vibration when we're talking about harnessing our own money and our own resources, you will, you will see a whole lot of people moving toward Afrocentricity. You'll see the red, black, and green nation growing big time. You see the Pan Africanists growing big time because everybody was saying, listen, one thing about some people, they got good, they, they selling products and they producing stuff, they employing people, and that's what black power is really all about. That's what African well-being is all about. We got to empower ourselves, and it's easy. Stop looking at that white man. The Chinaman is successful. You don't give a damn about that white man. He, he's doing what's in the interest of Chinese people. Go to the Chinese restaurant. You'll see 10 of them lined up working together. Ain't no yeah. fights and no arguments. And we can do the same thing. We don't have that problem. But we can't be that. We can't be that way until we get that white, that plantation ghost out of our mind. We got we to gotta work together, man. Being black is like watching, let's say, when the creator created mankind, he gave the white man five horses to pull for him, China man five horses to pull for him, the Indian man five horses to pull for him, and he gave the black man five horses to pull for him. Everybody's horses is pulling for them, and when the black man look at his horses, every one of them groups got his horses pulling for them. So we stand there complaining, talking about what they fear. We have to gather our horses and let them pull for us and stop letting everybody steal our power by stealing our economics. We have to be the wealth collectors. Because believe me, no nation gets respect when they organize themselves. Hello? Sir, that was that bomb right there. You're dropping it. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something, too. It's very interesting. Our people cry about reparations, and this country has paid reparations in the past. The Japanese got reparations 
in the 80s. They have. Because their country became so powerful, they had such a, a trade surplus that when we flew over there to beg them to stop selling so many Nissans and Toyotas, you know what I mean, in this country, you know what they said? Well, what about what you did to our people back in World War II when you put them in concentration camps? This country wrote a big check for them, okay? The Jews in Germany get reparations. Why? Because they're so powerful with their monetary manipulation and things that they do that... The white man said, listen, you got to pay those people. You want to take reparations seriously in this country? Let black people stop spend, spending their money with crackers. Their whole economy would crash. They know that. Let most of our people start, man, they will come to us in terms of real respect. But we have to have a revolution. I always said we have to have a revolution of self-control. When we control ourselves to such a degree that other people may not like us, but they are absolutely forced to respect us. Very important. They don't have to like me. They got to respect me, though. They got to respect me because I'm worthy of getting respect because I control myself. You're not just going to get my money like that. You're not just going to get my resources like that. I'm educated. When people kill me, I'm an educated black man. But you, what, what do you produce? Who do you spend all your money with? All of us should be embarrassed. There's not a black leader on this planet that should have his, have his chest stuck out. And I'm not saying nothing new. These are the blueprints that was left by the ancestors. I don't even fight white people like that. I put them between, I put me and Amos Wilson. I said, Amos Wilson said this. Elijah Muhammad said that. Malcolm said this. You argue with that. Because them people ain't here right now. Okay, but that's who I'm following. So if you want to convince me of everything, you don't have to say, oh, this guy, T.C. Blackman, thinks he's a black leader. He's trying to resurrect it. Nah, not me. All I do is put the ancestors between them. That's how we do. We never have the ancestral worship. We take the wisdom of the ancestors and we put that between us and these crackers and the other claims that's out there in the world. That's what we have to do. We don't need no blueprint. Amos Wilson wrote blueprint for black power. We ain't never followed it. God gave us a beautiful vision. We yeah. haven't followed that. So it's not about a leadership thing. It's about common sense and people coming to each other on a very, very simplistic level and saying to each other, brother, we got to make changes, and it's time for us to really manage our own economic house. If we don't want to do it for ourselves, we must do it for our children. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we have to do this for our children. We should be ashamed to have our kids walking these cars as a shame when we don't see our people own shit. Or the significant businesses, you don't see us own nothing. Got to go beg other people for employment. Yeah, if those people exist, it's an amazing thing. Go into any black community and look who's patronizing all these people. It's 99.9% of our people. They ain't getting and they walk right, Yeah, and they walk right past us. And they look well, at us. Well, you know, the thing about us is that those people, you know, why is our businesses always on the street? We lack fundamental organization when it comes to economics. We are our own lending institutions. We are our own credit unions. These are the kinds of things that we have to say to each other. We have to say, you know what? Let's get together and study the conspiracy on how to control some money. That's the only conspiracy I'm concerned about. I don't want to hear about white people this, white people that, and they doing this, and what they doing in Congress and the bloodlines. I don't care none about that nonsense. White people are evil. I think that as a what you call I assume white people are evil until they prove otherwise. That's the standard I get with them. Because guess what? That's what they believe about you. Yes. They tell their children right at the dinner table, you can't trust those niggas, watch those niggas. They're clear about who you are. They know what they did to you. And they're clear about it. You're the only dummy believing that you got a fair play in their mind. 
They know what was done to you, and they know that you have a reason to hate you. Hate them. Okay? But that's not even African. I don't waste my time trying to get black because they hate nobody. Because that's the most un-African thing you can do. We're not about no hatred. Okay? Black people ain't going to kill nothing. They ain't going to let nothing die. We don't even like to be competitive. We want to be friendly with everybody. That's why we got overrun. We want to be friendly. We think that everybody got the kind of humanity that we got. Henry Clark taught us well. We don't, they don't have that kind of humanity, but we just can't believe that somebody thinks outside of the paradigm that we... They come amongst us, and they see nothing but ways to progress. They don't recognize your humanity. They bring you nothing but death and destruction and degradation. And you know that, so why are you even talking about that today? What we should be talking about is how we have to protect our, 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 the African family. We have to talk about how we can protect our families by simply understanding that a man can't oppress you. You know, Amos used to be fond of saying one thing. Amos Wilson, the great Dr. Amos Wilson used to say that the white man does what he does to us for one reason and one reason only, and that is because he can. And until we create a world where he can no longer do that, that bullshit stops. That bullshit stops, and you cannot create that kind of world until you create the kind of economic corroboration amongst African people that forces him to respect you, forces him to respect you. That's why he keeps Africa destabilized, got the African countries fighting amongst each other, takes these African leaders, educates them in the West, into a, indoctrinates them into self-hatred so they go back to their countries and become kleptocrats, stealing everything that's coming into the country. But Africa, listen, let me tell you something, a lot of them paid, go study Mugabe. Go study a lot of these brothers. A lot of these African leaders are a lot wiser than you think. Even Mandela, people criticize Mandela. But let me tell you something, man, a lot of them understand that African struggle is a continuum. He took it so far, now it's up to other people. That he set up the way for you to get into power. Now you've got to step into that. You can't sit there and say he didn't do his job because we put too much pressure on individuals. In this culture, when we have to have a collective understanding that all of us must contribute to our liberation. We have to have a consciousness that's all about liberation. And that's why when you start talking about liberation, that comes at the point of a dollar. Let's liberate ourselves economically by making sure we put money into each other's hands. You trade with me, and I'll trade with you. I'm taking care of your needs, you're taking care of my needs, and we bring other brothers and involve in them. It's not about individual power. Some brother is rich. That's silly. That don't mean nothing when the white man smack him right on down. But together we have resources. That's what it's all about. Everybody having dignity. We don't deal with ego like white people. You know what I mean? Oh, one, one of us is supposed to be rich and the rest of us are, are powerless. That's foolishness. I want to become wealthy and I want to see other people around me become wealthy. Why do I want wealth? Because I got billion-dollar concerns, trillion-dollar concerns. I'm trying to save my people. That's in my DNA. My whole family was Garveyites. I was raised as a Garveyite. You know what I mean? And we, are, we, we treat that as a sacred concern. My children are being raised as Garveyites. My children are being raised to go to Africa and dominate industries. My kids are not interested in no politics. I want my kids going into politics because the politicians are all controlled, controlled by the business people. So the world is a business. And when you find people not engaged in business, they're not going to last in this world. A lot of Africans come over here, they're already business conscious. You go in the village, they throw down their rug, you know, they're mat in the village, and they sell. Those people understand it's about commerce, it's about trade. 
So when they come over here, a lot of them ain't looking for no goddamn job. You got some of them do, but they come over here and with their most rudimentary education into the society, they want them a shop. They want a place where they can sell. And they go amongst their people and their people come out and support them. So they're going to have, they, listen, man, they're going to have prosperity and success because they don't, they, they don't understand anything else. They come over here and look at the opportunities we have and wonder if we're crazy. We can read and write. We got telephones, all kinds of stuff. All of us got computers and all this other stuff. And we still talk about we're oppressed by the white man. You know, it's all because we have to change our orientation, man. We have to say to each other that it's not about discussing conspiracies. It's about us looking at what we really actually have. We have a very wealthy nation of black consumers, and we have to learn to turn that wealth into a, 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 a fuel to create industry amongst ours, not in the dust. That's what industry means, industry. From, from 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 dust to industry, we in the dust because we think it's cool, we think it's comfortable. We have been pampered so much in this country that we've reached a very dangerous level. It's fattened up, they have fattened us up for the kill, man. Okay, a lot of us is not going to make it. When they start cutting these food stamps and really cutting down, because I'm going to tell you something, this dollar is in trouble. And when they really have to start cutting resources in this country, they ain't going to cut it to their military. They don't cut it to the... To the, to the, to the um, to the uh, social service programs. They're going to betray the people that had social security. They're going to betray all these people that's living, waiting for the government to give them a dollar. they got to do that. they got to do it to try to save this U.S. dollar. Everybody who does their, their conspiracy or their, their, their financial research knows the dollar is in trouble as the world's reserve currency, but they can yeah. get their house in order if they stop borrowing. And if they stop borrowing, it means they got to start cutting the fat somewhere. And the first part is the fact that they gave us the fat to destroy us. They told the black woman, hey, listen, you don't need no man, we'll feed you. Okay? And they destroyed our family life. And we have yep. generational people, people have been on welfare for years or engaged in the system, and they've been very comfortable. But it's going to come a day when that shit ain't going to mean nothing. The food stamps almost mean nothing anyway, because most of the people that's on that shit got to buy from these bodegas where the prices are so goddamn high. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. If you don't have a car to go buy your stuff, and you have to buy from these neighborhood groceries where the food is so expensive and it's low quality anyway, it's a problem. It's a problem. So we got to realize that what we got to do is we have to turn our appetite away from spending money with other people and see that as a sacred responsibility to create a business. One of the reasons why Russian people in this country are one of the fastest Wealthy, growing people who become very wealthy in this country is because if you study the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, when you had your command economy under communism, a lot of people worked for companies or they worked in the business, but their salary was set by the state. So all of them had a home business that was really the way they survived. So when they came over to this environment, you know, and they get involved over here, man, they become very successful because they're used to knowing that you got to run your own thing. We all must have home businesses. We have to become a trading people. You look at the Japanese, one in every two Japanese men is a businessman. I think it's one in 100 of us are business people, man. We are really, really lagging, you know, and business is the lifeblood or economics is the lifeblood of any people. You think when they built those pyramids, they were giving out checks? They weren't giving out no money. They had a social relationship. The Pharaoh said, this is the vision. 
And he sent groups of people over there to produce wheat and people to produce uh, support for the people building the pyramids. But they wasn't giving out checks, so don't let the monetary thing fool you. They had a relationship of love and respect for their cultural imperatives. So when they leave the game a directive, the people went to work and saw as, as a, they moved as one. We must do the same thing. We are the ultimate collective people. What they call tribes in Africa is just really a gigantic extended family. And we must be one African family on a global scale. And if we start to think that way, our problems are really, really kind of behind us. Okay? And we got to stop thinking the white man runs the world, contrary to popular belief, the creator control runs this world. And he has set this thing up for us to ultimately triumph. He put it in the white man's scripture. The stone that the builder refused will be the head cornerstone. That's us. The first shall be the last, then the last shall be the first. They talk about us. Who is the first that is now the last but us? But this world won't have no future until we rise again. Because as it begins, it's going to end. The black man got to reclaim his place. You think the world that the creator is going to allow that white man to get away with what he got away with for centuries? And his greed has not only destroyed much of uh, a lot of our African people, his greed has almost destroyed the world. Who's the greatest polluter in the history of the world? In 300 years, he didn't, turn this, he didn't put this planet at risk with the global warming and all that other stuff. He's toxifying the whole damn planet because he's a savage. If he thought collectively, he would understand that you got to respect the planet and that you're part of the planet. But I'm saying this is the insanity that happens to you when you get locked in the ice age and you transmogrify into a monster, okay, a greedy monster. Even though he knows that that thing is not sustainable that he's doing, he's going to still try to ride that shit till the wheels come off. And we as African people must check that. Okay, here's a guy buying seeds and, and genetically modifying stuff. He doesn't even have no consciousness or no understanding of what the hell he's doing. So we have to check that. We should do run in every direction. We should run in every direction the white man is going. We should be going in the absolute opposite direction. We must have collective economics, and we must take care of each other, and that's the message. Hello? Yeah, that's we the we have to take care of each other, man, and we have to be emotional about it. Yes, black people really claim we're emotional. Let's get emotional about taking care of our children. We're responsible for our kids fighting the prison industry because we told them that the white man had a job for them, okay? I don't yeah. take my children that shit. I tell my children that we run shit, okay? We run shit. We create industries. My mother told me, always maintain the means of production. Always have something to sell because her father was a diehard Garveyite. That's the kind of people that we come from, and that's the kind of people that we have to remember the lessons from the past, okay? Why do you think coming out of slavery, our people were so productive, built the black universities and all these churches and stuff like that, and we were great until we got into disintegration? That idea of integration destroyed us because you never needed to be close to this white man. He was never going to accept you anyway. We had our own Negro Leagues. People was employed, making money. We had stadiums where we played in. Then here come the white men, realizing that, hey, blacks are spending a lot of money amongst themselves, but they have a weakness. They want to be included in our social system. So we'll put them in with the black, with the white men, and we'll make tons of money. Jackie Robinson not only broke the career barrier, he, 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 listen, he sent a lot of money from the black community into the white community. 
without realizing it. So we have to be aware of the fact that they played this game for us. Economic inclusion, that's the only way we got integration is when we spend the money. And that's a terrible way for people to try to win acceptance in the society. We have to spend, you know, so a lot of us go all out the way to spend extravagant sums of money with the white people that could represent a business. I spent $50,000 on a car, that could represent a fucking business. Okay, so we have to understand, we have to make the connection. It's not about arguing the cultural thing. The cultural thing will happen if there's economics. Brother Don't let these idiots running around talking about socialism and all that other shit. They ain't going to change a goddamn thing. Okay, it's not that money, getting money or becoming wealthy is evil. It's about the mindset that you got it. We need some black capitalists, people that understand how to make some money. Okay, I don't want to call it capitalism, but we need some people who understand that by amassing wealth, they can best address some of the problems of their people. Brother CC, real quick, we're going to take a quick uh, break, 11-11, and we'll be back in three minutes, all right? Beautiful. Money, 
family. Peace to the family. Uh, Brother Cece? Yes, my brother. Real quick, before we get back into the conversation, I want to open up the line for a brother who is having an event in um, Brooklyn on Saturday. So real quick, I want to open up the 424 and welcome my brother Philip Galleon onto the show. Call it from the 424-245. Peace. Peace, brother. Peace, brother. Welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. How are you? Brother from the 424-245, brother Philip. Peace. Okay. All right. Brother yeah. Philip, are you there? Your phone may be on mute. Because we don't hear you. Okay. All right. We'll get back to the brother. Okay, Brother CC, you are definitely going in. <laughs> you are definitely going in. All right. Um, I want to ask, if I'm listening to the show right now and I want to wake up tomorrow, or when I finish listening to the show, I want to immediately do something. What is it that you suggest that I could do to begin these wheels turning, to get these wheels turning? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to think seriously about what you can do to independently earn money for your family, something that is best not tied to uh, you know, the whims of white folks or any other people. You should be thinking in terms of products, the kinds of things that you like to do, what you can possibly sell. Even if I was a person that had a particular career path and uh, or I had a great job or I just was struggling, I would try to figure out what rudimentary uh, role I can play in the economy, you know. I can tell you about so many people who set up home businesses and had a supplemental source of income other than having the those who work as we currently know it. Knowing people is a potential uh, economic uh, windfall for you. But you've got to produce a product and you've got to figure out, you know, there's all kinds of uh, tutorials online, or, you know, involving how different things are produced. And, uh, you know, you should make a real commitment to making sure that if you have a family, there's some kind of business that the family does is very important. This is important for your children because the growth that's what you're going to experience in trying to understand uh, how you can, uh, you know, uh, setting up a business is going to be very meaningful to you, your children, and your family. And you might become, you know, very successful at it when you don't actually necessarily need a nine to five. I've been working for myself for years, and I can tell you this, I have more free time. I've made more money. I've been very, very successful uh, because I understood uh, on my last job, the, the owner said to me, you know, you always have a job here. And that scared me because I realized that what he was saying is that you're going to always be my Negro. You know what my I mean? You're going to always be on this plantation. And at the time, so I needed a job. I appreciated the job. But my mind said to me, whoa. I better not never, okay, because I did time in prison. I did six years in prison, 
And when yeah. I got out, I had to get a job for parole reasons. But I realized that when I came out that, you know, I got to eventually get into my own thing, okay, which is what I did. You know what I mean? And yeah. I mentioned the prison thing because I like to let black people know that, listen, you can come out of any situation if you have the determination and the drive to change your condition. Some of our best minds are locked up because messing with our people, yeah. you will get locked up. We don't have no real organization. When we bring these young black men along, we're not organized to plug them in economically. So when we see them wilding out because nothing has been prepared for them, sisters the same way, you, you can't really blame the young people. I don't get mad at young people when I see them doing stupid stuff. I get mad at us as elders and adults who know better and do nothing to prepare uh, these young people to make a transition into manhood and womanhood where they will have some power. We can't let white people continue to socially organize our children and then complain when it don't turn out the right way. You know what I'm saying? So we have to be conscious of that, you know? We, we are the only kind of people. We raise our children to go sell us dope and to kill us and to attack us. But they're angry because you haven't prepared nothing for them. No right. point giving them all this cultural information. You have no kind of economic nothing. You know, yes, if we spread the gospel of getting paid, it could be just like hip-hop was. There was a time where there was a lot of pride. When I was a kid, some guy got a record deal and came off and got big. The whole community was happy for him, and everybody said, that's going to be my vehicle one day. Well, we got to look at business the same way. Brother got into a business. The whole black community had the consciousness to say, we got to support that brother's business. I knew some people, some of the other people, uh, if you set up a business, they would walk up to you and say, hey, brother so-and-so set up a carpet business. And the guy would say, I don't need any carpet in my house. And the other guy would say, listen, you still got to support them. Because it's not the point That's that right. you need or don't need carpet. That brother made a, uh, set up a business, you got to support them. Do you know what would happen right. if we raised the consciousness of our people and you set up a business and everybody thought that it was imperative to wrap their arms around you because they know that your business represents your ability to take care of your family and everybody said, let's go support that business? Our people would be going to business overnight knowing that we had the kind of consciousness to support it. Right now, our business people tremble because yeah. they feel like, oh, black people have been conditioned not to buy from each other. And to some extent, that is true. But really, if you got the right kind of business, and this is a necessity, because a lot of us, we do a lot of creative stuff. All of us want to, it seems like a lot of people want to create art, which is cool. If you ever go to these festivals, you have a lot of people involved in art, and you have a lot, and that's all good, but we got to get into the necessities, food, clothing, and shelter, bro. Food, clothing, and shelter, and then all of the kind of things that you need. A guy who sets up a soap company, our people need to wash up every day. That's something you want to make money off of. Right. All the food products and the variety of foods that we eat. If a brother, if our people eat pizza, you're supposed to have the black pizzeria. You know, I ain't got to be Italian to make pizza. You know how I many Italians hire a bunch of Hispanics to to make the pizza in the black community? So we have to have that kind of consciousness where we understand that, listen, business is the way. Business is the way, making money, man, making money honorably and empowering each other to make money, you know. I don't want to just be rich by myself. 
I want a whole bunch of brothers that got money. I don't want them crackers coming to look for me, you know. If they knock off you, I mean, what happens? You never empowered nobody else, so nobody else got your back. When you're all for yourself, you end up by yourself. That's not the African way. I get paid, my brother gets paid, everybody he know gets paid. And before you know, we got a whole bunch of men that's in a position of dignity. So when we call on to, 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 when we have to make some big moves, we can put together some resources and make that happen. That's the height of civilization. Cooperation is the highest height in human existence. Yes. And to add on, to uh, solidify, certify what it is that you are saying, all one has to do is to look at the African, you know, from the continent who is in America as we speak. And I don't know if the family on the phone, if you have in your in your uh, jurisdiction, your states that you live in, the, these Africans who have set up shop, but I'm speaking from experience living in Harlem, that is exactly what they do. They empower each other. There no, there's no one African walking around, flossing on the rest of his brothers and sisters. They nah, get that, ain't that ain't happening. They, they, that's, not, that's not how they have been raised. That's not the tribal weight. They came here together, and they come here to get rich together. And not there only are go. they coming here to get rich together, they are coming here to empower their brothers and sisters back on the continent with that the money so. that they're pillaging and taking from America. There's, and the mentality is, it's us against the world, and I full of respect for for the brothers and sisters, the way that I see them demonstrate. You go on 125th Street, and if it's raining or snowing, there's going to be somebody set up with some plastic over their, or over their table or over their thing, and it's going to be an African. I don't care if and it's you know a holiday or Thanksgiving hit. They're very loving. They're very loving people when you get to know them. You very know? loving. Their hearts and are very loving. so funny. I hear a lot of these idiots running around. They don't accept us. They don't like us. That's a bunch of, that's a bunch of bullshit. What they don't see, when you have your Africanness intact with you, they have no problem with you. When you come off as this, no. as this manufactured nigga that they made over that's here wrong. with your nigga yeah. values, then they don't, they, they, they don't acknowledge you. But if you show them yeah, your African humanity, you'll be all right with them. When they see uh, me and my brother come through, they light up. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Because they can see, uh, they can see the aura. They know it. They don't, they don't hold. Yeah, they, they're not. I'm sure some of them are of the, of the Islamic faith, but they, will not, they won't create a barrier between them and you because they know how to see spirit. They, they know how to see the light. They know just just by the way that we're carrying ourselves, we are not trying to be European. There you go. You know what I'm saying? And they know that we are not of the... And they know that when we look at them, we love them. And we see them as us. And they accept it that way. I I, I marvel when I hear brothers talk this nonsense about African people don't like us. That's a bunch of bullshit. They don't like you if you're going to be a European. If you're going to be a black, if you're going to be an Afro-Pian, they don't want to fuck with you then because you hate them. you got to remember, you got to study European culture, and central to European culture is the exploitation and destruction of African people. So if you got a set of European values, you're not going to be recognized and accepted amongst your own people. 
but they know that you're African, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be, you have to be comfortable in that reality. But if you want to be an honorary white man, then you're gonna have problems with them. Gonna, yeah, because just like the Asian that you were speaking of, because we don't see Asians on 125th Street, you know, showing us signs of Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and they're not like ice grilling white people on the train. It doesn't mean that they <laughs> have atrocities that have occurred to them, and it doesn't mean that they look at them with the side eye and they know who they're dealing with. Their revenge is success. Their revenge is to economically dominate, and through the product, they, they dominate and they compete in the marketplace through capitalism. They know where the real war is taking place. They know that it's, they can't beat them on they, – they're not trying to go to war again. They, they, they yeah. lost that war, and they've accepted the fact – that we, you know, when you when you go to war with certain people, you know, the one who is the most savage will walk away as the as the victor, and he proved to be the most savage in in terms of his warfare. So you know what? We're gonna beat you on a whole nother level. The Japanese had him on the ropes. Now the Chinese got him on the ropes. The Korean got him on the ropes. So we have to really understand what it is that this brother saying tonight, because he is giving up some real, real information. You don't necessarily always hear this from our brothers and sisters in the community in such a detailed, you know, uh, cohesive message. They're not talking like this. They're distracting you, and they're, big, and they're, and they're, and they're taking you into your victimhood, and they're, and they're taking there you, you into other places that is going to weaken you, and they're, you know what I mean, and, and, and they're rising up emotions and doing things like that. And all it has done, I, I, I will, I will look. I will pay for people to come to Harlem and walk through Harlem with me right now. Walk through Harlem with me over the week. I will take you on a tour and show you the infiltration that has taken place in Harlem. Scientology has set up a, a humongous building over there. Two of them. The Rosicrucians have a headquarters in Harlem. The Mormons have a, a, a church that looks like. It's, the church is like half of the block, right on Malcolm X Boulevard and 128th Street. You have blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, uh, Mormons set it yes. up right there in the corner where they're out there pitching and everything. The Mormons are there. And I'll show you how consciousness and other things have been beaten down, okay, and put to sleep. So all of that stuff that you hear and you, and you think is going on, let me tell you something. Economic warfare, regentrification, and all of those other things has dealt a, 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 a blow, a, another blow to Hiram. His ass is deeper in the grave right now. Don't Let me tell you something. The, the Japanese understand, they have a word for the white man. They call, they call him a gaijin, which means he's a barbarian. And just because you are a barbarian, you have to understand what war is about. War is about robbery, plain and simple. People go to war because they want to steal from another culture. They did not come to Africa to teach you about Jesus Christ. They came to you to still, still rob you and steal your labor. They gave you all kinds of complexes about your color, your skin, and, and you didn't believe in the right God and all of that. That was just cover for the fact that he just wanted to rob you and exploit you. And this European, if he couldn't rob you and exploit you, he wanted to kill you. That's how he gets down. So we have to remember, everybody on the planet understands that economics is about is warfare. It's one of the ways in which people go to war. But when you don't know that you have a fight, 
when you know that you have a struggle, you will not even fight. They used to say that it takes a, uh, you got to drive a tank through the average black person's living room to make them aware of the fact that we are at war as a people, but we see it all the time because the casualties are there. You know, when you see all these brothers in the homeless shelters and the collapse of black family and the homosexualization of the children, okay, and the medical apartheid and all the bullshit that we go through, okay, when you see that, you can see those are casualties, brother. There's a war. They're trying to knock you off. And the only way you can preserve yourself, you got to get on your own team. You got to be with your team. You can't be trying to be on the. You, you got to be down with your people. And the way you do that is you empower your people by spending your money with your people. Yes, indeed. You know, we, we have got a lot be, of hands we up. We got to be intelligent, man. Indeed, indeed. You know, it's you not about no philosophies and the the the, the, the uh, paralysis from analysis and, and debates about a whole bunch of dumb stuff. Is Islam the truth? Is Christianity the right? That shit ain't gonna get us nowhere. Let's talk about how we can get paid. Let's get some brothers to get in here and talk about this, show off their intelligence on how to set up business. That's what we need. That's what we need. You know, that's I mean, what we need. How else. we can get some fucking power in this society. That's yeah, how we need to be talking. Else Everything else is uncivilized at this point. That's right, because you've got to let your love. Let me tell you something. They used to say the motivation of the revolutionary is love. Where's our love for these young brothers and sisters? they got a whole generation of kids that's not even teenagers that they incarcerating and training them to be nothing but fodder for the prison industrial complex. That's our fault. we got to own that. And that's why we got to remember can't let nobody speak to your weakness. There's two ways to motivate a person. You can talk to their strength and you can talk to their weakness. Most of the people that come to talk to us like to talk to our weakness. By the time they get through, all you can do is be convinced of what the fuck you can't do. All right? We need people yeah. that can tell us what we can do. And what we can do is change our psychological orientation from one uh, I'm going to be put up into the glory of my past history while I'm dying today. Yeah, we can talk about Emotep, we can talk about the pyramids, Great Zimbabwe, we can talk about all the great things that African people have done, all right? It all began with us, if you understand the genetic history of the planet, which Clapper will tell you, it all begins with us. There ain't nothing being done that we have not done. There's nothing yeah. that the world is doing that we didn't give them. We did not do yet, exactly. Right, so we did all of that shit, and we are the original authors of all of that. But what we got to do is realize we must manifest our greatness today. Not out of vanity, just out of a common sense desire to survive, okay? We got to understand that we can change the reality, but we got to change our consciousness from one of being constantly dependent, okay, on another group of people. I don't trust white people that much. Be sitting around saying, I'm going to let this man provide food, clothing, and shelter, water. How are you going to send your black babies to be educated by a person who historically has demonstrated nothing but hatred for you? And then wonder why you're producing nothing but criminals and kids that want to drop out of school. Their education ain't relevant to them. They figure, hey, listen, I might as well drop out and get into what real black life is about, which is slinging some drugs or getting into something negative. Because I don't see no business prospects for me. Our people don't own businesses. We got people with PhDs, master's degrees, they're fucking unemployed. Yep. That's why when you can't solve your problems, you can't claim to be educated. Don't tell me how educated and smart you are and you can't pay your rent. And you can't even conceive of a way to figure out how you can pay your rent. 
So this is the kind of consciousness that we got to start to introduce into our, our community. We don't need everybody, but we need a group of organized people. We got a thousand black men that had a common sense. Now that's nothing in New York City. One thousand black men that had enough common sense to let's get together and let's solve our economic problems. Okay. Your black woman will support you, but you got to be building something. You can't just be sitting around talking about she got these problems, she's with the white man. She, what, what do you expect her to do when she's left to fend for the children by herself? She will honor you as the man that you are, but you got to be a man. we got to come together as men. Because remember, on that plantation, the main thing that they wanted to maintain was black men being disorganized. Okay, even in the prisons, five of y'all get together and start talking, here come whitey to break that up. On the plantation, they learned that on the plantation. Five or six black male slaves get together, they say they're planning rebellion. You know, so we got to understand that we have to be able to come together. The brothers got to come together in their homes, get your homie, get your buddy, and sit down and say, what can we do to work together and, 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 and get some economic establishment? Everybody eats off of black people but black people. Everybody's eating on us. Everybody. Koreans, Mexicans, Jews, Italians. Every fucking body in the world getting fed off of black dollars except black people. It's just like slavery. It's no different. You go out to the world as a wage slave, you bring all your money and give it to the master, somebody other than yourself, instead of saying, I got to make sure this money that I can bust my ass all week to make is going to empower my damn people. Indeed. And the way I do that is by buying the resources and the goods and services that I need for my damn people. You know, get you an internet business, do something, but supply something. It's not about brick and mortar all the time. Sometimes it's about quick and order. But whatever we got to do, as a people economically, we have to do. There was a time when you couldn't keep black people down. We got a very weak strain today. These people think that, oh, if the white man ain't advertising, if the white man ain't set that direction, if the white man ain't made it popular, you make it popular yourself to work with yourself and stop telling everybody about your liberation strategy. This is a conversation amongst us. I'm not trying to convince no Korean or tell a white man, here we come, we're going to do this. Uh-uh. We just do it. Shut up and do something. You know? It's not about that sitting around talking about, they love it. They love all the confusion. You got all these damn lectures going on, people sitting around arguing about nonsense. You go home, yeah. That is, this is this is fake. That's real. This is what they're doing. I know what white people are doing. I know exactly what's going on. And you don't own shit. You, you ain't even trying to own nothing. You ain't even trying to make sure your family is secured by having some kind of economic vehicle to harness resources that you control that's not being controlled by foreign people is very important, man. And if you can't make a product, go buy it wholesale and be known as the person that's handling to you accumulate enough money to make it yourself. I can't make socks, so I'm going to buy all the socks wholesale and sell them to my people. Don't buy no socks unless you get it from that brother. That's how he takes care of his family. And eventually he's going to get a machine and make them a socks his damn self. This is the kind of thinking we have to have as a people. That's how we show our love. Let's spend money with each other. And if we did that, you would see a whole lot of love in the black community. You know what I mean? Totally. You got to have this to the point where they say, what happened to all the black people? You know what I mean? I used to do a start a black business campaign where we used to say, we're going to take, we was on Fulton Street at the, at, at the time. We said, we're going to take one side of Fulton Street and tell our people, don't support nothing on that side of the street, but support everything on the other side of the street. 
And so when the people on the first side of the street that we wasn't spending no money with decided to leave, we bought those businesses, and then we shut down the other side. That's the kind of common sense we got to use. You know what I'm saying? We have to learn how to take certain sections of the economy, certain sections of the town where we live and control the economics there and say to our people, let's, let's chase some of these people out. Not out of hatred. I don't hate nobody. That's not even African. I don't hate nobody, but I can't continue to finance the future of other people's children at the expense of my own children. That's common sense. I'm sending Korean children and Chinese children and Lebanese children and Jewish children to the finest universities, buying them homes in the suburbs and doing all that stuff with my money on a regular basis, but I can't do nothing for my own kids. Mm. I don't have no damn money to guarantee them no kind of damn future. That's abuse. That's child abuse. That's child abuse of the worst sort. I brought a child into the world. I don't even have a plan or a dream of economic independence. I can't put my children's future in the hands of foreign people like that. That's a vicious thing to do. So when the kids come back later on and bust you upside your fucking head when they become a teenager, they're right. You haven't done nothing. You haven't done nothing. When I was a kid, I grew up in Harlem. And when I was a kid, man, you you had a way greater black business presence than what you have today, man. We had cats who take a van, go down south, bring up collard greens and all that. We were the Korean before the Korean got here. Most of these people that's making a living in black Koreans, we taught them. You go to Harlem now, you got a Korean lady. She got men all over the place cooking black people's food and selling it to us. I'm not mad at her. She feels the black that we created by not supporting our own. They create our own. Other people can't have greater dreams. How can we see our community as a place where you can't make money, where people get on boats, planes, and trains all over the world, come over here, and their dream is, I'm going to run to the black community. Those niggas will support anybody. Look, brother, they come out of shanty towns and third yeah. world countries. come out of... You in the project. They coming out of shanty yeah. towns. Not to make fun of my African brothers, but how are you going to disenfranchise a people such as the quote-unquote black male that lives in New York City, 50% unemployment, right? Right. But you're going to tell me I can't sell soap and incense on 125th Street. But I get on a train, and for the last $300 I got, I'm going to Hermes or, or to, um, to Barney to buy a belt, but I just passed. A seven-foot African, as dark as coffee, with red eyes, <laughs> standing on Fifth Avenue, selling Louis Vuitton bags in front of the police, in front of Saks Fifth Avenue. Yeah, <laughs> and he's selling exactly. he's selling Rolexes on Forty Second Street, and he got a crowd around him. And you're gonna tell me that I can't vend with a license or without a license? Or I gotta be a veteran? But this nigga's seven feet, and you see him every single day. What type of deal did his country make with this country when he was able to come over here and do that? Or is this that he don't have the fear in his heart that you got? So you can't see the opportunity that he clearly sees if he's willing to run back and forth every day with pocketbooks, Rolexes, and what have you, and stand there with a straight face and sell it to people like it's real. You know, it's funny because our people forget that a lot of our brothers and sisters who come from around different places in the world, when they come here, they tell us, you know, you're all right, just don't be like that black American. Because we forget 
that when they killed King and they murdered Malcolm, our people, we you know, we fell out of love with America. And, you know, when King was killed, you had so many, I mean, you had literally hundreds of cities in this country erupt in violence after they killed Dr. Martin Luther King. So the point is, is that ever since then, that white man has said, that black Negro American, he got a beef with us, and we can especially not let their men have any real money. So they put the black man out the house, and, you know, they try to keep the man destabilized because they realized when we were standing up in this country, it was primarily because we had built the strongest family life in the history of this country. You go back to the 1950 census, black people had more extended family life and more fathers in the home than anybody. Fifty years later, we got the worst record on family life you've ever seen. That's not by accident. That's by design. So it's keep the men, you know, all oppressors do the same thing. Kill the men, let the women live. Women are considered to be the spoilers of war because they know that the women's concerns are not like the men. It's the man's responsibility to pick up the sword and fight the oppressor. And the sword today is your business. You're not going to have no dignity and be able to support no family, family, and you ain't going to get no respect from no black women unless you are able to be productive. And you can do that if you team up with your brother. See, if we were united instead of, because you know what, we're so stupid to be sitting around arguing all this philosophical nonsense, and most of these brothers are starving, but we love to be jaw-jacking about ancient chemists, Moors, uh, all these other different things. That's good to know, but that's not no point for us to be uh, separating from each other. We must say that all of us have really the same situation, powerlessness. And to go from powerlessness to power, we have to find out what unifies us, okay? And if we're all concerned about resurrecting the black nation, we don't have to agree on the philosophical direction in terms of whether you want to be a Moor, a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, and all that kind of foolishness. What we really need to be concentrating on is our collective spiritual responsibility to change the conditions of our people and to have some kind of functional unity. That's our, that's our issue. We need functional unity. We have to say, I don't care. That's why in my church, we don't care. I don't care. You can be a Rasta man. You can be a Christian. You can be non-religious, spiritual. You can be a Muslim. I don't care about none of that, you know, because it's all, it's all brand names, you know. Islam, okay, and to me that's nothing but Arab nationalism because that's all it is. 
Do you know they used to let us go on the Hajj? We used to go on the Hajj, and they would enslave us while we were on the Hajj. Did you know that? Them same Arabs got a thousand-year history. And believe me, I grew up in Islam. I can tell you, a thousand-year history of enslaving African people prior to ever us ever meeting the white man. When the white man did his crusades, he said, if you ever need a slave, the Arab told him when they sat around the campfire and put down their swords, he said, if you ever need a slave, go get the African. We've been invaded on top of invasions. You know, there's a reason why they blew up the nose of the Sphinx. They know who the foundation of history comes from. But like I said, we are just so gregarious and we're so friendly and we have such a sense of well-being that, you know, we didn't feel it necessary to go out and dominate nobody. The indigenous African state in Africa. We're not a conquering people going to what you would call. We've never been warlike like white people. White people killed 50 million people, mostly white, in World War II alone, 60 million people. Another 20 million people in World War One. these people killed wholesale. Don't give a damn about no human life. So your level of humanity is completely superior, but he has tricked you into not applying that human humanity to yourself. you got to apply that to yourself. Grieve for your own people that are suffering. And, turn, and make, the, make, make sure you can make the connection with economics. All our problems originate in our economic disunity. And all our problems will be solved by economic cooperation and unity. And we must hold yeah. economic cooperation as our highest value, not these religions that we follow following. Because it's economic cooperation that's going to allow us to be, to, to be sustained on this planet. Working together is the only thing that's going to work for black people. Not all that is factioned off about arguing over these mystery religions and philosophies this cracker then gave us. Indeed, brother. Look, real quick, let the family know where your church is uh, located for the New York family or the out-of-town family that want to visit? Well, uh, the New York family, we, we're at the Martha Scarvey Holistic Center, 5105 Church Avenue. Uh, we're having a problem right now with the boiler, but we're going to get that back online, so I'll be able to resume what I'm doing. But I've been doing it in my first true church. I have a two-family house that I own. We've been doing it in my basement. But if you want to contact me and get some real information, uh, I'm at 646-755-1651. That's 646-755-1651. CC Blackman, you can Google me online. My website is newbeingdirections.com. If you want to leave, um, that's newbeingdirections with an S dot com. If you want to leave a message there for me. But the important point is, is that like I said, I don't, I don't big myself up like I'm no leader or nothing like that. What I tell people is that I understand that there is a continuum. And the bottom line is when you're fighting these people, you got to understand your dignity comes from showing up on the battlefield. The battle is already won if we make up our minds to empower ourselves. That's the bottom line. That white man can't stop you. Don't believe all this weak Negro shit about what white people can do. I don't even think about white people anymore. I concentrate on taking care of my goddamn business, and I'm advising everybody to understand that you will make nothing but progress when you understand that your fate is in your own hands. The fate of our people is in our hands. I don't care how much this cracker scheme, the design of the universe is that if we want justice as a people, the only ones that's going to give that to us is us. Okay, we have to support brothers like this brother who has this, uh, this uh, media that he is controlling, trying to get the word out, trying to raise the consciousness. This is no little thing. This is a big thing. And stop believing that it takes everybody to be involved. Sometimes just a handful of us 
can turn the tide on this thing by raising the consciousness of the rest of us. If we had a thousand black people who wanted to be in business and they did nothing but spend all their time hitting the street, going all over the black community, reminding people to support black business, and then went out and set up some businesses for the people to support, we could transform the world. If we get it together over here, this is the richest and the best educated group of black people on the planet with all the problems that we have. The black American is the richest black person on the planet. We could own Africa. If we organize ourselves economically, trying to think right Yes. Okay. Now, as a as a as a brother that grew up in a Garvey household, as someone who has access to people that may have even walked with Garvey, when you discuss to them what Garvey did, as opposed to what is being done today or what's not being done today, what component of organization? is missing and, you know, the people that are continuing to carry the banner these days when, you know, travel is that much more supposedly easier, trade and commerce should be well, somewhat a little bit more easier. What you have to remember about the difference between back then and today is very simple. When we got involved with Garvey, Garvey came over here looking for Dr. Du Bois. We got, I mean, not Dr. Du Bois. Um, he came over here looking for Booker T. Washington, who had read the book right. up Slavery. When he got here, Booker T had just died. But when he got here, he found the people, because you talk about 1919 when you had the East St. Louis riots, you had 1921 when you had what was done in, uh, to uh, Little Africa or what we commonly refer to as Black Wall Street. Those blacks understood at that time, the blacks in this country understood that you were not really welcome being free and prospering in this country. So it wasn't difficult for Garvey to give the message of let's go back to where we actually come from, okay? And when he brought that message, people embraced it because they understood that these white people are a set of savages. Them crackers came back from World War One and saw what was going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and how blacks had used social organization, common sense, and intelligence to build a society where they were thriving, okay? Thousands of businesses taking care of their business, and the white man went plumb crazy. So you have to remember that those people back then, our people were better educated. Our people today labor under the fantasy of integration. They freeze-dried the message of Dr. King from 1963, a very different message from what he had in 1968 when he said, where do we go from here? Everybody should listen to that speech because he's not talking about getting along, white kids and black kids. He's talking about we got, there's not enough to get a job in the factory. We got to own the factory. So he was changing, but we never hear about that, Dr. King. They just keep telling you about this integration fantasy because it plays to their economic advantage, okay? When they desegregated, you see, when you had the Montgomery bus boycott, okay, white people capitulated, and those were some very racist crackers down in Alabama, they eventually gave in because they had to start laying off white people. And they said to themselves, this shit got to stop because the business of America is business. And we got to make sure that we can make the profits that we make. So they said, we don't care if the Negro's trying to close and go down and start. What we care about is getting that Negro money. Our mistake is when we had the bus boycott, we should have said, F getting back on their buses. Let's set up our own buses. 
okay? But they probably do that because they knew it would incite white violence. The point is that today that no longer exists. They got a Chinese bus company in Chinatown that will take you anywhere on the East Coast, okay, cheaper than Greyhound. Everybody know about the Chinatown uh, buses. So people oh, yes, organize. We, we really don't have any excuses you know, today. Yeah. You know, we really don't have any excuses today, and it's just a difference in the consciousness because we've been deceived for the last 40, 50 years uh, believing that there's going to be some kind of uh, reform. One thing about reforming the devil, it's impossible. The white people are going to be white. Okay, that's who they are. They are predatory people. They are, they are, they are a crimogenic people. They rob people. That's what they do. And then after they rob you, they, they, they wrap themselves in, in cloaks of artificial decency and try to tell you that you're not making progress because you didn't work hard. You know, Sam Anderson used to say all the time, nobody can outwork a slave. What the fuck you mean we didn't work hard? And today we own 2% of this country, which is worth a lot of money, but 2% is what we had, you know, 100 years ago. You know, we haven't made any real economic progress because we give all our economics to other people instead of saying, man, we suffer too much. When I think about economics, I know if we don't organize and work together economically, we put each other in jail. We give each other desperate, you know, we destroy families. When I see a brother, he, he got babies to feed. Man, I got to support that man. I got babies to feed. He tries to support me. That's what this is all about, man. You know, so I appreciate I know you got to go off the air, but I appreciate the opportunity to participate in this forum and this discussion. I think it's important. I think that these kinds of discussions need to be had uh, many more times. Uh, if you ever should need me again, you call on me. I'll make myself available because it's important to get this message out. I don't care if we got one or two people out there listening. If we got a thousand people out there listening, whatever the listenership is, people listening to this should spread the same message. We got about a hundred people. Uh, 30-some-odd in the chat. We got about 60-some-odd in the call queue, but we do have about two or three hands that have raised to want to hear. Uh, I guess they want to ask a question, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully that's okay with you, brother, so we could... Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Indeed. Brother Blue, are you in front of the call queue? Um, yes, I, yeah, I'm in front of my studio, correct. All right, so can you commence to opening up the line so we can have our callers engaged with the brother CC? Yes, yes, I can. All right, callers, but no further ado, let's go to the family. Caller from 864, caller from 864-313, caller, peace. Peace, hotel. Family. Hotel. Greetings, brother. Uh, love, love, much love to everybody. Um, I guess I wanted to definitely... Um, just add a little input because this is a, a very uh, heavy topic in my heart because um, I guess like you were saying, brother, the unification of uh, us as a melanated people is something that we that we lack. And, you know, even when we look at economics, when we look at agriculture, when we look at a lot of different things that we do need to upgrade ourselves in, my thing is is that we've lost our local deity. And we know the importance of a local deity because we know the importance of what we lost. And that's just the thing that kind of um, I have a question about, brother, just like even with a lot of our master teachers, a lot of our brothers speaking a lot of, uh, you know, important information. I just have to, I just know that, you know, proper diet, proper spirituality, 
these are things that we have to have first before we can have a functional person. And that's what I'm telling the people around in my area, to hold yourself accountable first before we can be a part of any group or being able to give, because I myself have supported black businesses. But what happens when that black when that black business doesn't hold itself accountable and when they go into the strip club throwing all the money we supported them with and they go in to throw it off to some bullshit. And, and the reason being, and from what I see now, this is my opinion, because our spirituality, because we have no local deity, we are, we are falling out of order. And from what I see as my eye, every time y'all hear me, I'm going to talk about my eye. I don't give a damn. That's what we need to talk about, the importance of restoring order. If I'm wrong, we can debate. But I'm, I'm just saying, that, that being first before, you know, we, we, we implement anything, we, we must definitely go to it because we always talk about the importance of rising to the fourth dimension. We talk about the importance of the sun right now and the melanin. We know this because we know we are out of a, a finite reality. So I think we should more or less start exercising that. Those of us that do know, we should become more of a common unit because we know better. We well, know better. In response to what you're saying, I think, you know, uh, a lot of what you're saying is, is right on point. But the, the thing that we always forget the reason why you see people at the strip club throwing away the money and doing these kinds of foolish things after we support their business is that we fail to see ourselves as a nation of people. You will never make progress until you identify what you have in terms of what your interests are. As long as African people in this country do not think of themselves as a nation within a nation, we don't have the kind of priorities that nations have. See, when you have nationhood, you know that you have to operate in the best interest of the nation. In my church, we teach people to do, we have only one, you know, there's a golden rule in Christianity, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself or whatever, uh, or do unto others as you have them do unto you. In Islam, one for your brother, one for what you want for yourself. In my, in my spiritual organization, because we're not religious, in my spiritual organization, the First True Church of African Redemption, we teach only one directive. Do what is in the interest of African people. Do what is in the interest of African people. And if it's not in the African interest, of the interest of African people, don't do it. So selling dope is not in our interest. Mistreating our women is not in our interest. Them mistreating us is not in our interest. Us spending our money with foreigners is not in our interest. If we learn to operate in our own interests, okay, then we can get to the kind of unity you know, we can always debate what religiosity we should have or what kind of spiritual connection we should have, but that in itself is very spiritual. That's the most spiritual thing you can do as an African in the war for African dignity and African survival is to teach your, everybody you know to operate in the interests of African people. And if squandering your money in a foolish way like that is not operating in the interests of African people, I mean, that should be rather apparent. So this is what we have to think. We have to always think about what is in the interest of our people, and that is the prime directive. And, and, and I definitely agree, brother. And can I add this one thing before I get absolutely, off? Absolutely, absolutely. I just wanted to say, just after me studying all of our past and lost civilizations, I look at Kemet or what we had inside uh, what, what is now Egypt and the Medunetta, these things that were laid down as being the most important or the zenith 
inside what I see as us as a black people. My thing is now, like, why I, I think we should be going back to the nation building with inside self and just, like, relinquishing the finite object things and just, like, fuck it. Let's go back to the body and build up our broken bodies because we got to heal ourselves by knowing ourselves, know ourselves in order to heal ourselves, and then we can patch up our wounds. So then when we do get our money, because I have had money before, but, I mean, I have squandered it. I didn't know how to utilize it. I didn't know how to go out and, you know, buy seeds or go and, you know, be productive or like the brothers were talking about, the brokerage accounts. I didn't know that type of thing. So my thing is where I had to know myself and now see that is the importance of now, even with the group as a community, I would say them knowing themselves or us knowing ourselves to when I do get some money, I can give it to KTL. When I do get some, and when KTL gets the money, KTL can also that back into like having the show, things that facilitate all of us. And we appreciate that. We appreciate that. And, and, and I, I definitely think, um, you know, that, that, that's just my opinion, brother. And um, I, I, I look at my art because I look at my art as being a cataloged, defined uh, uh, spiritual cultivation. We, no we question. My art is a very important spiritual code. I, I try to live my art. Uh, the thing uh-huh. that I, I just want to say is that you got to realize that, you know, I try to stay away from trying to persuade our people to move in any direction that prevents them from understanding the imperatives of now, okay? We don't have, you know, Amos Hewson used to be fond of saying that a lot of us are going to die black and proud. We look at the pyramids and we'll fall right back on and rest on our laurels of what was done, you know, millennia ago. What we have to do is realize is that the same people who did that are here today, okay? We are the living representatives of our ancestors from the past. And if we could socially organize ourselves to do those things uh, that, that became the glory of the world and became the foundation of, of all human history, we should also have enough common sense to say that we have to uh, connect with that and bring that, that greatness today because the bottom line is the house is on fire, we don't have time. We got to get in there and save the baby now. We got to make whatever wants we may have as a people. If we understand that our basic existence and the existence of our children is at stake, the existence of the future of the African continent, all of that is at stake if we don't respond to reality now. So I can't take long sabbaticals trying to uh, connect with myself on some spiritual level when the tangible reality is my children got to eat today. And I know that I have to do some of that, but I got to really spend my time now dealing with and confronting the reality. We got to get into empowerment. Empowerment means we got to have resources. And the key is is that whether you had money in the past, what we're talking about now, you can get out of the economic doldrums once you understand that, listen, the same energy you can put into resurrecting the minds of people to get into my eye, find a way to make money doing that. Find a way to, uh, to, to make resources because that will preserve you in that act. See, a lot of times people don't realize to be an activist, you've got to have the resources to be an activist. When I was out on the street, uh, you know, as a vendor, I always had something to sell. 
But my love was to really teach the people. It really wasn't about economics. But I still got to bring some money home. I had a small child at the time. I got three now. I have my wife and everything to take care of. So I had to balance the love for the people with also some kind of economic thrust. You understand what I'm saying? And I can honestly tell you, I made so much money meeting people and getting involved and there was a lot of black, that's why nobody could tell me about we don't love our people. When I was out there giving it my all, believe me, people supported me. People supported me. I could tell you some stories. I've had sisters walk by, uh, read my sign, because I sell a book called, I wrote a book called Towards the Destruction of a Nigger Mentality. And I saw a sister look like she walked out the project somewhere, and she looked like she was scuffling and struggling. And with tears in her eyes, she walked up, because I used to have a sign, and they used to say, that the uh, that the future of the African race depends on a collective movement toward the destruction of a nigger mentality. Because I consider a nigger to be a hater of self and kind, a mentality that was created by white people to keep you know the African family divided. And she walked over with tears in her eyes. I used to have a bucket for my organization. She put ten dollars in. I didn't want to take the money from because I could see she couldn't afford it. But it moved her that much. Our people are very easy to deal with when you understand one thing that is constant in the African world. Our people cannot resist real love. When you really love our people, they know it, and they will respond to you. So we have to deal with our people with love, and we have to have patience. I don't demand that they change everything that they do immediately, but I try to point their attention to what's happening to them for real because a lot of us are not dealing with what's really going on. A lot of us are living lives, we're in pain, a lot of us are depressed, and all this is being anesthetized by TV and the drug culture and the alcoholism and all this other stuff, anything to keep your mind from focusing on that. So if you can ever get us to focus on what's really going with us, going on with us, and you get us to respond to the real pain that we're in, believe me, you'll see some change. Because I used to attract crowds, man, in the street just simply talking about what the conditions are. When you start yeah. talking men in prison, and you start talking about the collapsing family and the homosexualization of the youth, man, you get all segments of our society. We tuned in. We love each other. Even when they put that guy Obama out there, our people was, man, I saw drug dealers in line with old ladies and church-going people. Everybody was trying to support that because deep down inside, we know our future, you know, there's a lot of love amongst us. Don't let nobody fool you about that. But we got to be real with each other. we got to talk to the real problem. A lot of people, you know, if you uh, have been blessed enough to be able to do that research and go into my art and all the, 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 the great history of Africa, that's a good thing. But the solution really lies in just us being real today with each other. Because as you show people that you're concerned, you know, about what's really happening, you influence them, and, you know, they'll take that journey. But, you know, right now we're in such crisis that we really need to be talking about some economic unity. But if you watch our kids today and you listen to a lot of the hip-hop today, these kids are very much got economics on their mind. So I don't want to be inviting people to the movement and then they come into the movement and they can't live. I want to invite people to, to the movement and tell people that there's tremendous money in the movement. There's money in right. In African consciousness, but you have to understand we got to be entrepreneurs as well. We have to be business people, not with the white men's mentality of exploiting each other, but with the mentality that as we empower 
uh, individuals, we also empower ourselves because our people have to give that back. I have to get strong and help another brother get strong and help another brother get strong. And he help other people in turn get strong. That's where the future is. And then once we got real economic strength, man, we can build universities of my eye. We can build all kinds of institutions to teach our people that kind of a value system. But we'll do nothing but be poor, righteous teachers out here talking about those kinds of things without a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. I mean, I was a poor, righteous teacher, so I know. Believe me, it's no fun when you can't pay your bills. You got all this enlightenment, and you're telling the people this and that, and your letter is righteous and good. But at the bottom line, we still live in a society where a man is judged by his ability to take care of himself and his damn family, whether you like it or not. And, and, and you're absolutely right, brother. And, and oh, that's Lord, right. That, that you got to be able to take care of business. You ain't getting no respect. I know mad brothers. I got a good friend of mine deep into my aunt and whatnot. He don't even have a woman. You know why? He can't take care of a woman. And there's no shame on him, except I've been telling him for years, you got to balance that off with an economic thrust now. Because when you set up a business, you show how much you care. You know, uh, I met a Dominican guy many, many years ago. He used to be a hustler. I was in home. He used to live up on the hill. Uh, anybody knows Harlem, you know, he's up by Amsterdam and Broadway. And me and him got into a debate because he was in his bodega and we were talking. And I said, uh, you know, years ago, I remember when you was in the game, he said, no, nah, nah, I got out of it. I said, yes, and well, you did the right thing. You set up a business, you know. It was never right for you to participate in that, but at least you didn't stay at that level of degradation where you're selling death to people. But you, you got into a business, so that's a good thing. I said, what motivated you to do this? He said, I have a grandmother from the Dominican Republic. And she used to have to walk five blocks to buy products that she was accustomed to buying in the Dominican Republic. So I said, I'm going right. to put a bodega right here so she can walk right down the block and be able to get what she needs. But his motivation for going into business was love. His motivation for going into business wasn't that he just wanted to make a whole lot of money. He wanted to do something that would aid and ease and assist, uh, assist his people and guarantee their survival. And that's how our people must be motivated to, uh, to business. It's not about having a whole lot of money. It's about supplying your people with the things they need to live. We have to have ours. We don't have food security in the black community. If the foreigners don't come to work, we might starve in the black community. Imagine that. you got all this money, and all the food stores are owned by Arabs and foreigners. A lot of us wouldn't be able to eat. That's how dangerous we're living. Believing that other people are going to take care of us with the same kind of concern we must have for ourselves. Yeah, because if something go down, they're not keeping that, that bulletproof window open to collect money for food if something go down. they locking them doors and they hoarding that food for them. Of course. And their babies and their families and the community is going to be totally disenfranchised. Well, if the social guns, control collapses, yeah. black people are in trouble because everything we get... Other people control. You know, we laugh at movies. You see Undercover Brother, they put poison in the fried chicken to, to mess up black people. That's funny, but it's real. Everybody's controlling black life. When I was a kid, ain't nobody could outcook black people when it came to fried chicken or something like Yo, that. We I, brother, brother Cece, I say that all the time. I say, how? And what we are from Arabia to cook me some chicken. Uh, 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 a Chinese oh, woman at that. Chicken, like, like a, yeah, around the a Chinese woman who you're known around the world for your fried chicken. It's like 
We can't even have a monopoly on that industry. You black, but no. you don't want to buy fried chicken from somebody. Listen, McCone stole his whole formula from a black woman. And yet and still, we power to that spot. You think we couldn't make a chicken and outdo him? But we're so, we're so uh, cooperative with other people's economic schemes that to a certain degree, we're getting exactly what I, what we reap and what we sow. And when we change our minds, decide to go in a different direction, we'll reap something else. But we got to grow up as a people and stop imagining that we're going to solve our problems without dealing with the real, very realities. The reality is we need money. We need money to take care of ourselves because the, one of the greatest things you can do as a black person with common sense and a black person with, um, um, you know, with an understanding of things like my aunt is to be personally successful. That's very important because in you being personally successful, you set an example. Yeah, I'm about the, my aunt. Yes, I'm about black power, and I ain't broke. I got some money. I got family unity, family organization. You know, I'm taking care of a woman and a family. My wife hasn't worked since I met her, and we've been we've been together for 10 years because I didn't want her working. I spoke to a Japanese guy many years ago, and he said to me, and I didn't need him to tell me this, but he said in Japan when a woman gets married, she only works for her husband if she's going to work. You know, we wonder why our kids is half crazy, but we're not creating the kind of resources that allows a woman to stay home and properly cultivate the development of the children. That's because we ain't got the resources to do that half of us. Hey, it, it, excuse me, it, excuse me, bro. I don't mean to cut you off, and my time is up. But when we look at Black Wall Street, and when we look at our economic establishment inside America was very heavy. We look at Black Wall Street. So if we formulate something like this again, what is definitely going to ensure our stability that we won't topple and fall as we did then? What's going to ensure Well, you got to realize something, too. You have to learn from the past. That's why it's there, okay? Now, one thing about people who know the history of this country, you understand what uh, white folks are doing in this country? They got more militias than anybody else because exactly. they know history, and they know if there's ever a collapse, they better be prepared to protect themselves. You couldn't do that to African people today. Not if we had the kind of consciousness that comes from knowing about the Black Wall Street. You got to remember that it was a time when they were putting Jews in ovens in Germany. Those people learn. They learn. What do they say? Never again. So why can't we say never again? And socially organize in a way where that does not happen. The reason why that happened to a large extent in Black Wall Street was because nobody believed that it would or could happen. Okay? So we have to understand that that can happen when you don't organize. But see, you can't even talk militarism or even self-defense without people who have the ability to even control their own economic destiny. When you have a bunch of men with businesses and all that other stuff, they will sit together and say, this is what we need to protect what we have. It wouldn't even happen today. But the bottom line, and I say that because I got victimized before, I should never even rise or try to do something today because it might happen. You're going to die anyway if you don't do something. It's not what I think, it's what I know. We are going to have to destruct if we don't do Might something, well today. Yeah, I, 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 and I definitely feel you, brothers, man. I definitely feel you, and I, and I, I definitely fight that fight. I'm down here in the south, South Carolina. Well, I used, like I used to be in the streets. I used to get. I can be economic right now. I can go hustle, 
and get over on people and do, but like. No, I'm not saying that. that you do that. Mm-mm. No, I'm not talking about that. We you have to have I, that's, I, 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 that's, I, I, that's short lived. That's 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 destruction. You know, I was in Charlotte, North. No, not Charlotte. I was in um, I was in um, Charleston, South Carolina, just last year, and uh-huh. to me, I could see the depression, the economic depression. Uh, I could see the suffering of the people. And one thing I always advocate to black people, man, if you're in one of those hard luck towns and there's no real economic cooperation, don't be afraid to move around. Because let me tell you something, you can travel somewhere and change your whole economic existence. I don't advise that people stay in these, you know, towns where it's depressed, it's economically uh, not viable for them. Because the one thing about me, I understood very early in life that life is supposed to be a movement away from pain. I'm not going to sit nowhere where I can't generate no economics, people are not listening, because people are different in different places. For example, when I travel outside of New York, I was out in Ohio and different places. Let me tell you something. The Midwest is a mess today. You hear me? It's economically very, very bad. People in New York have no idea how fortunate they really are. I'm telling you, blacks are doing very, very bad in places where we used to do okay. And the economics is really, 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 I mean, it is real bad. And I'm going to tell you something, New York is still relatively, New York really has the highest concentration of black-owned businesses. It's one of the highest concentrations of black wealth in this country. And the people here, they take it for granted. They, They don't realize that even that is eventually subject to change if we don't have the kind of economic cooperation because, like I said, we can revitalize depressed areas of the black community if we had an insular economic system where we're dealing with ourselves. But as long as we think that, you know, it's okay to trade our wealth and just give our wealth to white America, we're going to be in that situation. But I'm going to tell you something. I feel for anybody stuck in a city like Charlotte, I mean, um, Charleston, and what they, even Charlotte, North Carolina is way more progressive. But Charlotte, I mean, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and different spots that I saw in South Carolina, man, it's bad. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's bad. Yes, you know, I'm not, I'm not making it up. You there. It's bad, bro. It is real bad. And the level of ignorance is profound. And, 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 and that's one thing that I was raised in, brother. And to, like even when I listen to you all, brothers, from, you know, when they say, uh, you know, brothers from up top are a lot more faster than the, the brothers down south. So brothers, it's nothing that. like, let me tell you, I lived in the south for eight years. And let me tell you something, I lived all over the south, in Carolina, Florida, South Carolina briefly. And let me tell you something, uh, even in Georgia, let me tell you something, there's nothing like southern ignorance. I've seen a lot of ignorance in New York. These people are lightweight <laughs> compared to the south. They got some people that are beyond ignorant, you hear me? And that can be changed, but like I said, the education is bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And the bottom line is that, you know, wherever you find the churches are the strongest, it seems like the people are the, are the most backwards. And, 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 and you are absolutely right, bro. And, and when, you just, when you just pointed that out, that made me think, think about uh, the disunity between the mind and the heart. When we look at the brothers up top, yeah, they're a lot more smart. But then they're a lot less, they, they're, they're a lot heartless. Down here, you got a lot of people that, you know, you go to church, they have church like hell, but then they're very ignorant, like you said. And I think... Yeah, you see, up here, you got to understand, they, this is a very strong individual ethic. And uh, up here, it's, you know, we let Wall Street and mass media dominate us up here. So a lot of brothers up here, I mean, I, I listen to brothers up here, they sound like a bunch of fucking crybabies, a lot of them. 
I mean, we have the most we have the most favorable circumstances right here in New York City to really be a beacon to the whole African world. But we got so many niggas that love division. I mean, these niggas love fucking division. They have whole elections where they don't take two intelligent brothers and all they do is spend all day arguing with each other. There's no yep. real impetus toward unity. And, you know, that's why I stay out of that shit. I really can't stand it. We should be talking about solving black people's... Brother, yeah, I um, I want to thank the caller. I want to be yeah. fair and partial to other people that are on, on the, uh, the line as much well, bro. Much love, much love, much love, brother. I enjoy speaking with you. Yes, okay, indeed. Bro. Thank okay. you, brother. And please feel free to reach out to the brother. Stay in communication. I know that you would uh, benefit immensely from a continued dialogue and communication with our brother so you could get things, you know, situated where you're at and we can start implementing the change that I know that you've always been ready for and you've been talking about. Okay. Right? What's, what's, what's the brother's name again one more time? What's, your, what's 646 what, brother? 646-755-1651. Um, company is New Moon Directions. If I don't pick up the phone, make sure you leave a message for me and I'll definitely be back in contact with you. Okay. All right, and what's your name, brother? Uh, C.C. Blackman. You can Google me, C.C. Blackman. C.C., okay. two C's, and, and Blackman. I'm, okay, I'll, I'll, you'll see me on the web. Okay, y'all, y'all brothers have a um, have a, a blissful night. All right, hotel, my brother. Thank uh, you. Hotel. Thank you, brother. Okay, I want to um, I want to put this information on record real quick before this conversation is finished. Uh, I want to give a shout out. To one of my African sisters from Senegal, Sister Bamboo. Shout out to Sister Bamboo. She has informed me that they have a uh, African Trade Link and Expo that's coming up in July 2014. She wants us to participate. So I'm gonna share this information with the family. You know, you can reach out to her and find out how you can participate. Put your business on the fast track, like the brother saying. Waste no time. Let's get it started. If you have an idea. It's ingenious. Um, this is helpful to melanated people, carbonated people across the planet. Now is the time to get your business started. You can start your trial runs right here in the States, and you can get ready for Africa in July. Okay, this is called a business opportunity for Africa. This is her writing, so I'm speaking in her person. I am one of the coordinators based in L.A., and we are launching our great business and trade expo plan for July 2014. We already have clients on the ground we are looking for investors who want to make business with Africa. Africa Trade Link and Expo, Inc., Africa Business and Cultural Development, um, Manage, Inc., WIE Industries, the Bedford Group of Companies, U.S. Foreign Commercial Services, Eastern Africa, Moreno Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, 83 productions are organized in a trade mission to Nairobi, Kenya, Africa, July 23rd to 27th, 2014. To help U.S. and worldwide firms find business partners and sell equipment and services in Africa, there is a link named Registrations where you can find information to get into the event. Please mention Bamboo Ada on the reference line. That is B-A-M-B-O-U-A-D-A. Okay, you can also Google the info at African Trade Link in Espo and browse on the website for more information. And that is AfricanTradeLinkInExpo.org, family. All right, this is real. This is going down in July. This will be your foray, your entrance into Africa, into the continent. 
with some reputable business people who will be able to steer you where you need to go and plug yourself in to this expanding, the, 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 the largest, you know, economic opportunity based on the planet is in the continent. You know what I'm saying? And um, I, I don't know what else to say outside of that. Like, that's just one opportunity. That's just, that's just one situation that's open and available to the family for opportunity. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot more that's going to come, and you can go and create your own, like the brother said. Plan a trip. Just go over there. Get your feet, you know, ten toes on the pavement. See what pops. I can't help but everywhere that I'm going out here in California and I have Senegal clothes on, clothes from the Senegalese, the colors and the patterns, I'm stopping traffic everywhere I'm going. So I already know that there's a business in terms of, you know, the clothing and, and you know what I'm saying, utilizing that fabric to give it our particular artistic twist. There's so many things scalable-wise that you can do. And this is where the cultural piece merges with what you're saying. Uh, the fact of the matter is if, if if they can't make our food and they can't make the clothes like we quite like them, this is the danger of being Europeanized. See, there was a time when Mahatma Gandhi told, came over to England and went to see the factory workers, and he says that buying English clothes creates poverty in um, in uh, India. And so he decided he was going to spin his own clothes. He, they called it homespun, and they would make their own loincloth and, and, and some design based on that. But the point was is that we create poverty buying all this crap from these Europeans. If we had our own African identity and started to dress that way, that's a whole industry for sisters and brothers to go out there and start producing clothing that's uniquely uh, indicative right. of our African identity. This is why uh-huh. it's so important to embrace your own culture and have an African appreciation of beauty, an African aesthetic, if you will. So it's very important for us to be conscious of that. And the truth is the expo is fantastic. I wrote down the information. But what's important to understand is there are lots of things going on on the continent, but they don't put it on the news. They got most of y'all thinking this is a Tarzan situation where big things are going on on the continent. you got to get Get your head out of the matrix and start to do your research. Start finding out what's going on in the the continent. There are industries, opportunities all over the place. So be aware. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, again, to the family, there's an enormous social reward that you get from representing your, your African aesthetic. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you the amounts of conversations that, you know, my attire creates and just the uniqueness of it, the colors, you know, or just the whole aspect of them seeing somebody embracing heritage and making it fashionable in this particular world, you know, going up against what their contextualized ideas of uh, of what, quote, unquote, being fly in society is, like, you need to have a pair of Armani's or, you know, I'm like, nah, none of that. You could create this, you know what I'm saying? Just be very original in a way in which be artistic. You know, it's art at the end of the day. You're expressing your art. I make and sure you I get can, my, you my, my you, patterns. You also, but, like, for yeah. example, I've been wearing my Afro since I was a little kid. That's what my father wore, 
and we have never changed. And I remember when people used to say to me, hey, the Afro's out of town. Now it's coming back because all this stuff is cyclical. But I would because it's a statement that says, hey, listen, you are not going to transform me into something that hates what I am, okay? Right. I'm going to be what the hell I am. Now, you don't have to necessarily wear an Afro to be militant or to be um, Afrocentric, but it's very important that we understand how central that is to the minds of our children. You have to love being what you are. Look at the industry we've created for other people by rejecting ourselves. Look at all the hear that's bought from foreign people. And I used to tell people, listen, I used to be disgusted about all the wigs and all the hair, but I would feel a whole lot better if we were producing that stuff, okay? I mean, it's not right, but I'm saying ain't nobody black is making touch and a dime from all of that fake artificial hair and weaves and wigs and shit that we're wearing. It's ridiculous, you know what I mean? So, I mean, let's at least say, okay, uh, if you're not going to change that, let's at least make it ourselves and stop spending all this money because a lot of this stuff is all synthetic stuff. You know what I mean? Listen, at least you think we would produce it with the way we spend in billions on that crap a year. Right. Nah, yeah, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's definitely crazy what they're pulling down. And um, it would be a lot less of a sting if we had just a finger, fingertip particular market, you know. But, eh. Let's go to the next caller. Let's see what the family has to contribute to this phenomenal conversation. Caller from the 213-213-909. Caller from the 213. Peace, caller. Greetings. Hey, hey hotel. 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 Hotel, black woman is God. Peace. Okay. Um, I wanted to um, respond earlier. What the brothers have said um, about the um, brothers that's from the motherland. Um, we're kind of reluctant saying the word African, but that's what we do say, even though it's named after white dude, Africanist. Of course. Some uh-huh. say everyone, but for, for the purposes of communication, we use the term. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Now, um, yes, it's true about. The, um, our, well, our family from Africa that come to America. Out here in California, I'm not able to speak for New York, but out here in California, um, they do support each other. You know, they are a good example on, on that part. H- however, I'm just like one out of billions of blacks that have tried to associate and communicate with them brothers. Um, it's not good in California, and um, and I, and I'll speak on level and including spiritual level. Uh, spiritual level is that most of them are Christians. Um, I ran to most of them in 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 L A. Christians, but some Islam, but there's no communication because the key point is how they came here. They came here of being, according to my research sellouts. Now, the ones that been a new generation, however, they, they have similarities of not communicating with brothers out here. I'm not going to say all of them, but majority of brothers from Africa is not trying to build economic 
economic power of black people in America, generally speaking? Well, let me just respond by saying this. It's very important to understand that when a lot of the people who, who migrate from the continent over here, you have to remember that they are told who we are by the same media that disrespects us every day. When you have a Hollywood industry that is really a global industry, you know, the number one show in South Africa for years has been The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They know us through what they see in the movies. And so when they come over here, they are afraid of us. They don't know who we are. They don't recognize. And that's not because of what they have done in terms of interaction. But if you just consider the gang violence in L.A. or just, so, you know, what's going on in terms of what happens with our young people, you would be afraid too. And with respect to the class of people that make it over here, Yes, those are some of the wealthier people in Africa. You have to have a lot of money to travel 8,000 miles to live in this country. But here's what I always tell the black people. Uh, one of my greatest uh, mentors was Don King. Now, people have a negative, many times a negative opinion of Don King because they don't understand what this black man did. But this is a brother who took control of an industry dominated by the white mafia. He also had what, for lack of a better term, a black mafia coming out of Cleveland that supported him. But the thing about Don King that's interesting is he always used to talk about, or he always talked about how this is his country. He, he knows his way around this country. In other words, we are living here. We're supposed to know our way around. I don't need an African to come over here and show me how to make it economically. I applaud them for the cooperation that they uh, exhibit amongst themselves because that's that's just people in their right mind. But we should not have to depend on them for anything. I don't, I don't look to them to create economic opportunities for me here. If I go to the continent, it's an entirely different situation. Because if you come to the continent saying, hey, I'm your long-lost brother, embrace me, you might have a problem. Not that they won't embrace you, it's just that that's not going to be that exciting to them. They see how people come over here with that, with that kind of conversation. But if you come over here and say, I'm from America, I'm over here, and I'm here to start an industry. I'm here to cultivate uh, an industry where we all can make some money. Brother, you would be the most popular person that you ever, you know, you ever seen. They want to see black people that understand the importance of being productive. They have enough people who are dealing with a lack of industry. So, of course, any time you get people coming over to this country, most of the time you're seeing bourgeois uh, Africans, for lack of a better term, okay? Africa has the worst brain drain of any continent in the world. But most people who come over from Africa, they come to these universities or they come to America to get education and they do not want to go back home to cultivate Africa and build Africa. So you've got a lot of people that's running, okay, from the responsibility of developing their homeland. Some of those governments even pay for these kids, a lot of them, pay for these kids to come over here, their best and their brightest, and as soon as they see Europe and the United States, they're convinced that they don't want to participate in that fight because they become crackerized and Europeanized. So I always say if they can recognize the African in you, 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 you won't have a problem with it. I would never try to do business with them in that, in that respect, trying to look for them to embrace me in a business sense when they're over here. Although, if you are taking care of business and they see you as, because let me tell you something, we are the most by far, the, the, the African tribe in this country is the leader of the African world, for better or for worse. 
I mean, we are highly admired and highly despised because they feel like we have the best opportunities that go squandered. So in one way, they get over here and then they go through an identity crisis where they want to actually be identified with black Americans. Because with all the degradation we suffer, we still have a very solid black middle class in this country. And you have a lot of blacks who own property, land, have a lot of shit going for them. So it's not like, you know, it's all despair. A lot of times we talk too much about the lowest common denominator. But you got some very educated blacks, blacks in high positions, all in every sector of this country. Blacks running Fortune 500 companies, blacks who run big military positions, blacks who are doing big things. So they know that after they get here. Wow, you run into Caribbean people with the same problem. They come over here, and it takes them a while to realize that, yeah, you can make some progress in this country, but don't get it twisted. You do have a class of black people that's taking care of real business. I don't need no African to show me around the country I come from. Okay, I just need to get my brother in the hood to understand, listen, we better work together and take care of our own business. The only thing we should ever envy about them is that they still have the cultural cohesiveness to look out for each other and take care of each other in business. I don't blame them. That They understand each other. A lot of times there's a language barrier. Do you know what a language barrier is as an economic tool? Don't you know Hispanics can make a lot of progress because a lot of these crackers don't speak Spanish? And they can sit there and, and shut them out of their economic, uh, out of participation in their situation. People who come over here from Haiti, who who speak French, you know what I mean, are talking to each other in a patois that they only understand, so they can only provide. Only, it makes it more difficult for anybody to provide the goods and services that they want. We don't have that barrier. Ebonics well, don't give us enough of a, of a barrier, but we can create it by relating to each other differently. So we should never feel despair that a lot of them come over here and you don't see them wanting to accept brothers and sisters in some kind of economic unity. you got to bring something to the table. You don't need them anyway. you got to train your own brothers and sisters to understand that this is our country. We built this country, and we should definitely be able to come together and organize whatever it is we want to organize. Our problem is that we are all united, but we are not organized. And organization yeah. is the only thing that really matters. We're united in our problems all over the African world. The continental Africa, African is being exploited by the white man. Folks in the Caribbean is being exploited by the cracker. Uh, we over here are being exploited. So we're all united by our problems. But what we don't have is unity in terms of organizing on how to deal with that. And it's not that complicated. you got to start right where you are. Booker T. Washington used to say that all the time. Put your bucket down right where you are. Get a few brothers together and say, listen, let's, what can we do right here in L.A. to take over an industry or start some kind of fledgling industry that will empower us economically and spin off from me in a hundred different ways? All right, brother. I understand to a certain extent. I try not to get to personal issues regarding um, um, beliefs. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a Christian or Islam, so I just leave all that to the side. I do believe in chemist primarily speciality. But economic level, um, my experience, one out of billions or even trillions of black people across this um, planet that I always believe in to, to, to the day I pass away through physical form, but spiritual, spiritually I live forever. The world, the world ain't free to Africa's free. But the thing is, with my life experience or economic level of dealing with these brothers and, and their sisters from the motherland, it's been terrible consistently. I'm just speaking of one brother out of this whole planet consistently. And, and, um, and, I, and I have a business. I, you know, 
I'm not going to put myself on a pedestal. Business is business, you know what I'm saying? But I repair computers. I'm, now, once I computer for brothers from Africa, because they feel that I shouldn't be that smart because I'm black in America, and also they feel that they should pay me pennies. So that's why I'm quick to say that an average so-called brothers and sisters that come from Africa, which I already said, are sellouts. The brothers that is in Africa, they love us because these crackers ain't going to allow them to come over here because we will be united. So it's difficult to to get along with these brothers in L.A. Okay, now the reliance is on the generation that's raised up from their parents. Hopefully they wake up. But that's all I gotta say is for making a long story short. Well, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you can never discount a person's experience. But what I would say to you is that I, I think you, you know, the bottom line is that there's a lot of reasons why we experience this kind of um, prejudice, if you will, from some of our brothers who come over here, and that is because you find out people in a deplorable state when they come over here and they see our people engaged in the kind of self-destruction. Let's take a look at just the crack generation, you know, growing up and watching how a lot of dignity was sucked out of the black community through the proliferation of a drug war perpetrated on us by the United States government and the mafia. Okay, they flooded the black community as an anti-revolutionary uh, tool. They flooded us first in, 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 in the 60s and 70s with the Haron, and then they hit us again with the, with, the, with the crack, you know, in the 80s, okay? And so what happens is anytime you have a people suffering and people who are being told by their leaders that they're trapped in the cycle of victimization, you know, you're going to have a lot of people getting high. Okay, and getting messed up. And so when you come from Africa and you see crackheads and you see people caught up into that kind of degenerate, you know, lifestyle, you know, we don't hate the people. We know that they was pawns in a game that they, they didn't understand. But what we're saying is that these Africans look at that and they feel like all of us are the same. So we have to make them respect us. I'm not going back to Africa to live in poverty. I'm not going back to Africa to ask an African for, for, for nothing. I'm going over to Africa ready to take care of business because the bottom line is if you was a Chinese, if you was an Eskimo, it wouldn't matter. If you went over there and you can improve the conditions of people in Africa okay. through some industry that you build dealing with, you're going to be well received, brother. Okay. I, I have a question to ask you. two questions. It's easier for us to go to Africa. We don't have to go through no um, um, investigation. I mean, they go through investigation, but no interrogation why we need to go to Africa. The, okay? Black people in so-called America. Okay? Now, when them Africans come to so-called America, they go through interrogations to come here to get that visa. See, that's the thing that we need to research and investigate, which I have. I know there a lot of Africans who tell me what the process is. It's not it's, it's right. not one thing. If you're not coming from a country that's been identified as a potential terrorist country, you really don't have no problem. No problem. If you see a South African, if you see a person from Ivory Coast, if you see a person from, uh, I think you have the hardest time from Nigeria. But let me tell you something. These countries are designed to welcome people bringing in money. 
That's the bottom line. And when you come from Africa, they assume that you're bringing in some kind of resources and money. America is still some of the best and brightest from around the world because people have illusions uh, about the American dream and the fantasies that they create in Hollywood about what this country is about. And for some of them, it can happen because they, they're organized to make that happen. But generally speaking, it's not even that difficult for them to come if they have the resources. Because usually, within, you know, the way the intelligence apparatus is, up, is, is, is set up, man, they can identify you. And business runs the world. Let me tell you something. If you're coming over here to do business or you're coming over here to support the American college system or whatever the case may be, which is largely, you know, dominated by foreign people, the American college system, the, the, secular, the, 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 the high schools and, and primary schools and all that other stuff may not be the best in the world, but I'm going to tell you something. The American college system is viewed as the best in the world. And when I was in college, I mean, half the student body was from foreign countries. So the bottom line is they, they let you bring that money and that wealth because who's coming from Africa except somebody with some money? Who's coming from these far-off places in the world unless they come from a class of people within that country that got resources? The poor are not coming here. If you're down and out in Africa, you can't make it to America. You can't even buy a ticket or get a visa. So we have to keep those things in mind. So those people who come over there, they see themselves as being from a certain class of African people, and they come here convinced that they don't want to get involved in none of the negativities that is represented by what they see black people in this country getting into. Yeah. So, of course, they're trying to keep their cultural identity. But no matter what, you know, we as Africans, we mix. I was with a sister from Ghana before I married a sister from Jamaica. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so... There's a lot of interaction. We eat similar things. We all respond to the percussion sound or the drum the same. We're really one people. The artificial uh, separation and the misunderstandings a lot of times are not are not as universal as we think they are because after a while, I've known too many Africans who've been here for years. Their kids have the same problems as black American kids have because their kids want to be accepted, so they don't see themselves as African in the sense that their immigrant parents thought they, 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 they did. Same thing with a lot of Caribbean folks. The first generation comes here, they have certain values and ethics, and then the kids get caught up into the American system. So, you know, the bottom line, all African people need to turn off that matrix coming from the, you know, American propaganda and European thinking and, and try to be as Afrocentric as they can in terms of their consciousness and their responsibility. But we dwell too much on the negative, and I'm going to tell you something. Your experience is is more exceptional, I would think, than, than common, because I've had a lot of experience with them. But, of course, I've always dealt with them from a position of power. I never really dealt with them from a position of I felt uh, unempowered or was begging to be in their company and all of that other stuff. Because it's just like a lot of Caribbean people. They're coming from shanty towns. They're coming, they, they broke, a lot of them. And this is a big opportunity when they come to America. They see nothing but opportunity because it's so desolate economically where they're coming yep. from. So I, don't, you know, I know that when they come over fair. here, they might work in ways that I would never work because I know better. I've been in this country long enough to know that what they think is a great thing is not really a great thing to me. You know what I mean? I expect more. My parents did that already. You know, other people, you know, we've seen that. We, you know, we've, we've taken care of their babies. We, we've cooked their food. We've cleaned their houses. That's not good enough for a black man today. I understand why you feel that way today. I mean, all work is dignified work, but I can understand the restlessness of a black person who grows up in America who expects a different type of reality based on the fact that people already did all that scuffle and stuff. 
I cannot defend my brother for an African I come here and, and, and very very reluctant on doing. Don't you know it's easy for me? And I go through hell doing my own black people that's born in the so-called America to get to uh, get paid for my service. Even 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 these even these crackers and Hispanics, I, I'll I'll get my chump change. But these brothers from Africa, oh hell, I didn't get not one, bro, because they wanted to pay me damn near nothing. Now I have to speak, and we have to be intelligent about this, because the average person would think all of them are. It's just my life experience, and I always say to them and in, in the whole world that I speak to, the world ain't free to Africa is free. Now oh, well, I we know that all. And, and you're 100% right on that. But, I, you know, to me, um, you know, I always like it's just the same thing you go through with Caribbean people because if you met me, you would never know that my father's family is from Trinidad, my, my mother's family is from another Caribbean nation. But the point is, is my identification is that of a black American. All my greatest teachers are all black Americans uh, in much the same way as it was for Garvey. But what I found out is that you can come over here and have all kinds of stupid prejudices about black Americans. I've been on jobs where Caribbean folks are straight sellouts, and I used to tell them, you know, you're so damn stupid. You come to this country and you don't know that black people paved the way for you not to be called a nigger and a monkey every day of your life. So when you look at these people, because you see people been beat down by a system that flooded their neighborhoods with drugs and, opportun- and it took away all the opportunities and destabilized the black man in his home, you think that that black man in this country is, is some kind of substandard human being not realizing that the same, we are the same. You would have did the same thing under the same circumstances. And over time, they learned. Because when I was a kid, the names in New York City that we got shot were all black Americans. And I got older, it was Patrick Dorsman, it was uh, Admiral Lewima, it was, uh, you know, Amadou Diallo, people that's coming from Africa. One guy's coming from uh, the Caribbean. Another guy's coming from the Caribbean, and people started to learn. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. When these crackers start practicing their racism, brother, yeah. they shoot anybody that's melanated, and they don't give a damn. And it takes these Africans a little while to learn that. We learned it on the yeah. slave ship. We got I'm on the ship with of Fulani, Yoruba, uh, uh, Mandinka, okay, uh, uh, you know, and then we learn that that shit don't matter to these crackers. The only thing that matters to you is that you're black. So it's going to take them a little while to learn, but when they learn that lesson, they will embrace you, bro. Well, it embrace us as a people, you know what I'm saying? You yeah, a lot of them are ignorant. See, I'm a Pan-Africanist. I don't like no, I don't like no Negroes into tribalism if they're from the continent or these people that's endorsing this island mentality. I, I deal with people who understand that we must be one people on this planet, and that's the only solution for us. Pan-Africanism or absolute death. That's the salvation for the black man. The very thing that got the black man into trouble on this planet is, is racism, and the only thing that's going to get him out of this problem is race first. He has to put his race first, above his tribalism and his artificial nationality. I don't push no Americanism. I push I'm a Pan-Africanist. You know what I mean? And I look at people strange when they start talking about, you know, they small island pride or they African country pride and all that other stuff. But you, you, you asleep if you're into that. You better recognize the worldwide scheme to keep the black man at the bottom of the world's social, political, economic, and every other kind of uh, pecking order there is. 
and recognize that's universal. They oppress you in Africa. They oppress you in the Caribbean. They oppress you over here. So it doesn't matter because you speak a funny plateau. You think you got some kind of tribal affiliation. And when you raise the conversation to that level, and this is why when you do business with these people, you just can't do business. You have to spiritually make sure that you're talking to people who understand that you're dealing with consciousness. I don't just do business with anybody. I don't get in bed with any 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 strange person unless they know I operate from a spiritual perspective. If a brother came up to me and said, hey, Cece, I heard you. Let's get together in business. I got to make sure we're on the same page first. We got to share something of a spiritual nature in terms of our conversation to make sure I'm dealing with a, a black person that understands the same things that I understand. And that's why we must right. do business in that way. You just can't call me to do a job. I'm going to challenge you. Because if I was dealing with those Africans, the first thing I'm going to do is open up a dialogue. I'm going to let them know I know about your country and what the white man did to you there. So you can't hide from me. You know, I used to talk to people from the islands, and I tell them exactly what's going on in their country. You can't tell me you got all this pride. You don't own nothing in your country. You're not here because you want to be. They're pushing you out. So these are the kinds of things that we have to know. When there's nobody I do business with, I'm going to get in bed without knowing where they're coming from. And when it comes to our people, I don't care if they're from Africa or from around the corner, okay? You got to be on the same or similar spiritual wavelength. Because if you was on that spiritual wavelength with them Africans, they would have paid you like they pay themselves. Okay, I want to say thank you, caller. Thank you, caller. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right, we got. We have one more caller. I want to get this brother in. He got his hand up early. Caller from the eight six zero six eight zero eight six zero six eight zero. Caller, peace. Yes, my question to the brother um, in regards to you said with economics and banking. Doesn't Af- I mean, I'm not sure if any African nation, in particular Africa, all 54 states, have a stability banking system? That's my question. Can you hear me? Oh, 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 oh. Who, who you ask here? Um, the brother. Oh, hold on. Which one, bro? Brother C, C, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, follow me. I had your, 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 your line muted on my accent. Yeah, part of the worldwide conspiracy is to control banking, but banking, from our perspective as African people, is not even that deep. Okay, the bottom line is, is this. A lot of people don't know that the BRICS nations signed the pact. That's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And they said if there's ever a collapse in this dollar, we can trade with each other using, you know, our own currencies, okay? Uh, When it comes down to banking, banking has to be simplified to understand this. Banking is about making sure capital is available for us to do things, okay? So when you talk about a banking system, yes, all the African countries have their own independent banking systems uh, except for uh, Somalia, and some of them are tied in with, you know, Europeans and foreign banks, but that's not really the problem. The problem is is that bankers make critical decisions, and if you take any currency, I don't care if you're dealing with the Chinese yuan, if you're dealing with the Deutschmark, if you're dealing with the the, the, the Kugelin, if you're dealing with the, um, the Naira, if you're dealing with the uh, Ghana CD, if we collect those CDs, and that's the acceptable currency in that country, then we are able to have power. You know, banking, you know, a lot of times is, is overly, overly complicated. It's very, very simple. If black people in this country got this together and said, we're going to take X amount of U.S. dollars and we're going to all have a system where if we got a million people 
we say uh, we're going to put $100 in uh, the bank a month, okay? We got $100 million going into a black bank a month, okay? So that means that bank has a billion dollars in assets before the end of the year is out, okay? This is the kind of thinking that we have to have to get to that, which we can set up, man, we can set up, you can run a SUSU, you can run a credit union. The bottom line is that we have to avail ourselves of the available technology and we have to make a decision that we're going to build these kinds of lending institutions. I watched a Spanish man in the Bronx set up a, a credit union called Melrose Credit Union. He took a little storefront and he got Hispanic people who work for the city to put a few dollars into the credit union. And today it's a big credit union, very successful. We used to have many, many banks. We used to have many, many insurance companies. We don't even sell life insurance and insurance policies to each other no more. It's not that we can't run these things. It's just that we have tried to lose the Afrocentric flavor of business in favor of a fantasy of integration. And now we know that that's not working. So we must reassemble all of the kinds of business organization models that exist out there. We should have our life insurance, you know, uh, needs taken care of by companies that are us. You know, we need to have our banking. And, I mean, the thing about these kind of operations, 